Hi, so today I have Awab on the podcast. So Awab and I met two years ago, three years, three years ago, ago now, um, in school. And we became friends, not straight away. I think within a month Within a month we became friends. Yeah. We thought, like, he thought we were going to speak the same Arabic, but we didn't because I'm Lebanese, so my Arabic's very different from his. Yeah, like, I speak Khaliji Arabic, which is the old Quranic Arabic. Yeah, and I, I speak, I don't know. It's more like... What do we, like it's like influenced by like French and Turkish. Yeah, it's uh, it's like colloquial Arabic. Yeah, if, exactly. If you would. So what's interesting with Wab's life right now is he's writing poetry. Now I wouldn't say writing. I would say well, it's more like experimenting with it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're experimenting with poetry. So what's the what's the style? What's the um, so I think there's like three different types of poetry. Okay. So there's narrative, dramatic, and lyrical. Okay. So I'd say mine is more of like a lyrical poetry, but it's written in free verse. Okay. So there's different types of poetry, like different ways you'd write it. So there's free verse, there's like haiku, there's rhyming, there's iambic pentameter. Okay. Yeah, but I think... For me, poetry isn't really about, like, writing something for other people to read or something that I would publish. It's more as in as more as a way to express what you're feeling. It's a way to collect your thoughts, wouldn't it be? Yeah. It's a way to express your feelings and as a good way to describe what's around you and the situation you're in right now. Okay. By situation, I mean, like, the environment you're in and what's happening around you. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've never written poetry. I don't think I have. I'm, I'm not thoughtful enough to write poetry, maybe, or I don't have the vocabulary to write poetry. And I've never been the sort of person to be creative with my words in that sense. I I use words as a tool, really, just to express myself and to express ideas. I wouldn't use it to. Well, what you're doing is like collecting your thoughts. I collect my thoughts by speaking a lot of the time. Yeah. It could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, because sometimes you say stuff and it's like, you're not meant to say, but... Exactly, just speak, sometimes speaking what's on your mind directly without having a filter isn't exactly the best thing sometimes. I know it's not the best thing. We were talking about this. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's a good thing for me anyways. Like... It's better for me to be an open book than to be secretive or not even secretive. What would it be like um, for me to not? So it's better for me to be an open book and just say what I think all the time, because then people know who I am and they know how I think in the first place, you know? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So it, it just allows me to, to be free with everyone, just say what I want. Well, yeah. Anyways think how I want no I'd say for me it's the opposite I wouldn't be exactly open or have like all my secrets all out in the open or like everything about me out in the open okay. other than like a choice for people yeah I mean, yeah because That's there's like loads of things about my life that I keep private other than like my close friends that I know yeah I'm not talking about well yeah obviously there's some things that you just tell people that you want to tell no but there's things about you that like 
you're very open with people. Yeah. I would say that. I try to do that all the time. I try to yeah. make a point of it. Like yeah. sometimes it's uncomfortable to tell someone that's just asking you a question and you don't really want to answer, but I force myself to tell them the truth. Well, I try to anyways, as much as I can. Um, no, that's the thing. I'm not saying I would lie. No, I know. I'm not saying I wouldn't say the truth. I wouldn't tell the truth, but I wouldn't just like be open with them and tell them whatever comes on my mind. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I would choose what I say carefully. Yeah. Most of the times to random people. But if it's someone I'm close to, I'll just be honest and have no filter. Yeah, obviously, it's not... Uh, the thing about it is I'm not just saying stuff. I'm not rambling. I choose what I say carefully, but I say it anyways. I'll tell tell people anyways. I'll just speak. Yeah. I've, what I try to do now is usually I, I struggle to have conversation with people I don't know. Right. So what I've been trying to do recently is uh, just talk about stuff that I find interesting straight away. Yeah, no, so, I remember you telling me about yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it might drive people away and be like, what, what the guy, what the hell is this guy doing? It's like... Yeah, but that makes no sense. Like, imagine you just like, I meet you for the first time, you just start rambling about physics yeah. or something. Like, we wouldn't have been friends then. Yeah, but like, we, still st- we still spoke about stuff that we both found interesting. Yeah, but, but not, not right away. Not right away, though. That's the thing. Hmm. I think there has to be like a build-up at least. You have what, to get to know the person a bit better. What did we talk about? We hung out. You played music, probably. Yeah, I think we bonded over music. We like the same type of music. Yeah, you like Afrobeats. No, no, but at the start when you met, we didn't. It was more of like hip hop, R and B, and soul. Yeah, that's something I like as well. Yeah, like, yeah, and then as that. as we came closer, I think in upper six, like early upper six, we got into Afrobeats. Yeah, bro, Afrobeats, nice yeah. man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who do you like in Afrobeats? Uh, obviously, you know, you have like the classics like David O. Yeah. But I'd have to say Burner Boy or Whiskey. I like Burner Boy a lot. Burner Boy or Whiskey? Yeah, Burner Boy is nice now. Yeah. Like, he's, he's he's blowing up everywhere. He's not only blowing up. He in was Africa. on Justin Bieber's new album. Really? Yeah. His verse was like very short. It was like less than half the song. Okay. But he was still featured on Justin Bieber's album, which is obviously a great achievement. Yeah. For, for East African. West African. West? Yep. He's East Africa is Kenya. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or West African yeah. is. Brennabo is Nigerian. So yeah. Okay. Rapping Nigeria. Yeah. yeah. Most of the uh, uh, good Afrobeats come out of either. Is is Nigeria? And what's the other place? Is it, no, it's not Uganda. Is it Ghana? Ghana, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know any Ghanaian singers or rappers. I just know the Nigerian ones, obviously, because I, I lived in Nigeria, so... I, just, I know David O, I know Wizkid, Burna Boy, Techno. So, yeah. the mainstream ones, I used to listen to some of their music. I didn't listen to much Afrobeats, like, to be honest. I just... Just a bit of them. Yeah. There's like a guy called Ianya, I also listened to his music. Um, otherwise, I wasn't really... I actually started listening to Afrobeats more when I met you than beforehand. And I lived in Africa. Yes, um, we would all just like most of the time it would just be us like chilling together, just listening to music together. Yeah, it's a it's a nice thing. Music, yeah. music's interesting. I mean, I mean, music is basically poetry as well, isn't it? To some degree, I yeah. Guess depending on the music, yeah, it's poetry mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So I don't really know. This is this is quite. 
unusual like talking with a microphone and it being filmed this time yeah uh i'm just making like a normal conversation i'm just ignoring that the camera and microphone is there i'm trying to do that as well yeah i mean when it's just a microphone it's so much it's so easy because you just sit there and you like in your pajama or something and you're just talking yeah but now like yeah i kind of have to just like at least wear a shirt and yeah no i was i was chilling in my like boxers and my the, my barcelona t-shirt yeah and you don't like them either yeah yeah <laughs> i love barcelona because i like Lionel messi I don't I don't like Lionel Messi as much as I like Ronaldo. Yeah, obviously that's not and we both disagree on this and I yeah. think Messi if you look at stats Messi is a better player. But other than the stats you don't have really else anything else to go off of. That makes sense. I th- well, not really because when I want to look at stats of a footballer I look more at uh, a ratio rather than raw numbers. Like yeah. if someone's played since they were 18 and they've played like, uh, and they're like 36 now. So sort of, I think Ronaldo's 36, right? He's scored more goals than Messi. He scored like 40 more. He's at 770 or 776. Yeah, I remember. And then he's played a few hundred more games. But he's played 150 more games. Yeah. And the thing that they say about them is like Ronaldo played in three different leagues. So it takes adjustment. It takes time to adjust and everything. Uh, four different leagues now because he started in the Portuguese one yeah. but he didn't play much in the Portuguese Portuguese league. then English then Spanish, Spanish then, then Italian. Italian but also like probably his toughest time must have been at at when he was at Sporting because well he was just starting off so he has to pick up the pace and then well maybe his starting time was as soon, when he went to Man United at the start of Man United because like Alex Ferguson it's the more you, the more skillful you are. Like Ronaldo uses skills to dribble people. He doesn't just use like plain technique. Like Messi uses a, a body feint and acceleration, deceleration. He'll take you on. Ronaldo uses more of skill moves. Like he does a step over. He does another step over. He does a flip flap, and he can take you on and cross flip, a rabona. Flip flap. Yeah, it's like a elastico. It's oh, okay. uh, you basically hit it one side of your foot and. Then then move it the other way. Way. So like it go like this. Yeah. yeah. But the thing with Ronaldo is when Alex Ferguson was having that, the strikers didn't know what was gonna happen. So if Ronaldo's dribbling, the striker has no idea, okay, am I going into the box or is he gonna do another step over? Or is he gonna cross with his left foot or is he gonna do a Rabona cross now? It yeah. started confusing the strikers. So if you see the development of Ronaldo, the reason he stopped dribbling as much was because he wanted to become a more effective player. So he wanted to impact the game in a way that would reflect in statistics and would actually help his team out which is why he's like incredibly successful and that's why he has a lot of assists like at Man United he started at I think it was right wing not left wing when he went to Real Madrid he started off as a striker then went to left wing then moved back into striker but when he was in Real Madrid he became really a scoring machine because at Real Madrid he scored more goals than he played games yeah, so he's, he averaged more than one goal a game. Yeah, he averaged more than one goal a game. He played like 400-something games and scored 400-something but higher yeah. goals, which is ridiculous. And that's where he really, really took off in terms of goal scoring. United, he was scoring a lot of goals, but he was also giving a lot of assists and he was scoring loads of free kicks. Then when he went to Real Madrid, he just became a go- juggernaut at goals. And then he moved to Italy, 
When he moved to Italy, he also start. He also kept on scoring. Obviously, not a goal per game because he, he was like thirty three when he moved. But basically, like he was involved in almost a goal a game. So goals plus assists, almost a goal a game. Now the difference is. Messi has played his entire career at Barcelona. So if you go, well, maybe that's why... So he's acclimated to playing there. Yeah, he's acclimated. Yeah, but that's also, his environment, yeah. isn't it? But like, when you move from Man United to Real Madrid at the time, it's not really a downgrade. You're not downgrading, and it's not going to be too hard to adjust. In Ronaldo's case, it took no time to adjust. Straight away, he started by scoring goals. Straight, yeah. straight away, he just he fit in. When he went to Juventus, same thing. This guy's one of the best players ever, right? So it's not going to be hard to adjust. And I don't see it as an argument for why it'd be better than Messi to that he moved from country to country. Like, why is that an argument, you know? Except for maybe the adjustment period, which would be like, what, one season or less to adjust to start playing properly? And the thing with Messi is, the first stages of his career, his coach tried to suppress his dribbling because Messi dribbled a lot. And that was the main feature of Messi's play when he was younger was dribbling and speed, like ridiculous speed when he's dribbling. And the ball control he had was unbelievable. No one had seen anything like him except for Maradona, but he wasn't as fast when he was younger. Yeah, Maradona wasn't as fast as Messi when he was young. And so what happened with Messi was, his, I think... I don't know if it was Reichardt who was his first coach. Frank Reichardt. Possibly. Anyways, they were in a friendly and I think Messi was 16 or 17. And so what happened was the coach of Juventus, Fabio Capello at the time, had him... They just played. A, they were just playing a friendly game and he, he asked Reichardt after the game, can I take Messi on a loan? And they said, there's no way you're, take, you're getting Messi. There's no way. Then... After a bit, Pep Guardiola came in 2009. I think Messi was 21 or 22. And that's when Messi exploded. He erupted like like no footballer's ever seen, ever. So he went from being this fantastic player, like he dribbles like five, six defenders and scores. He had a good goal-to-game ratio as well. But in Pep Guardiola's period, Messi had way more than a goal a game. And he was yeah. basically involved in two goals a game. Involved, okay. so he wasn't scoring two goals a game. Yeah, he was like, assisting, or, scoring, uh, assisting, basically every game. He went on the hottest streak ever in La Liga, goal scoring streak, like consecutive games. Yeah. Uh, also, one of the most ridiculous stats is him scoring ninety one goals in a year, a full year. So, for example, last year the top scorer was Lewandowski, and he scored fifty something. So. Almost double, but not really double, but almost double. He scored 91 that year. Yeah. Obviously, he had the Copa America, I think, as well. So that gave him a few extra games. But but that's still ridiculous. He outscored full teams. Yeah. He literally outscored most teams in Europe. I think that season he'd outscored Chelsea. Uh, he'd outscored so many teams that year. And they won the Champions League and they won six trophies. And then Pep Guardiola left. Anyways, Messi was the first, fastest player to ever reach 1,000 goal involvements. And Ronaldo's just done that, like, two days ago. That's, now that's ridiculous, seeing as he's still 33. 
or 32, maybe it's 33, I don't know, I'm not sure. But that's so much faster than Ronaldo's pace to getting to a thousand goal involvements, even if Ronaldo was basically an assist provider at Man United, predominantly. He was yeah. scoring goals as well, but his first job was to get assists, and he was doing that. But Messi's first job... Messi hasn't had a position where you can go, this guy should be scoring goals, or he should be getting assists. He plays on the wing as well, doesn't he? He plays on the wing, but not really. If you look at his heat map, he moves more towards the centre, but in midfield. If you look at his heat or map... like it's, a centre forward? No, it's like a midfielder's heat map. Really, it looks like a midfielder's heat map. If I just showed the heat map, it would look like he's playing at centre mid, or central attacking midfield. But he's actually... Like you. But he's actually... Yeah. He's actually playing up in front, and he's getting a ridiculous amount of goals. Yeah. From midfield, basically. Which is why I find it so impressive, and he's getting, he's uh, tying assist records, breaking assist records left, right, and center, and just watching him play is really entertaining. There was a season where I really, like, really watched football all the time, seventeen, eighteen, two thousand seventeen, eighteen, this two thousand seventeen, eighteen season. They didn't win La Liga, they came second, Barcelona. I think Real Madrid won that season, but Barcelona won the El Clasico, which was the only highlight they really had seeing as they exited the Champions League after being embarrassed by Juventus. But every game Messi played that season was really a game to watch. Yeah. He was averaging like an 8.5 rating out of 10. Every game he'd take on like 5-6 defenders. His, his dribbling average was 5.5 dribbles per game. He had, he had a lot of assists. He was top scorer. It was insane to watch. It was really, really entertaining to watch. Like, now he's still getting the same amount of numbers. He's not dribbling, like, as successfully. His success rate has dropped by, like, 4%, dribble success rate. It's, it's not that bad, but... It's, it's not the same, is it's it? It's not the same to watch. Yeah. Because when he's taking on defenders, he's like, this, no one's going to take the ball off this guy. It's really something to watch. It's, it's really... I think the eye test really helps me, sways me towards Messi more than Ronaldo. Like, I wouldn't turn on the TV and watch 90 minutes of Ronaldo. He's going to get 35 touches of the ball. He's going to maybe score a goal. So you, so what you're saying is Messi's just more entertaining to watch for you? He's more entertaining and the stats back him up as well, oh. for me. Yeah. And in general, the stats do back him up. Goal to game ratio, it's higher. And assist to game ratio, it's also higher. Yeah. And contributions altogether are also higher. Mm-hmm. And the ratio of contributions per game is also higher. Um, all the important stats for... And he has more trophies, but Ronaldo has more Champions Leagues. and He has more individual accolades, Messi. No, Ballon d'Or is... Yeah, but uh, Ballon d'Or is kind of a joke. Yo, he has one more, right? He has one more, but he has two more golden boots. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm not gonna lie I don't like football isn't something that I will actively watch by myself yeah like you enjoy what like turning on the TV and watching football yeah I mean I put games on that I enjoy like the teams that I like watching are teams that have possession and play quick football sort of like Pep Guardiola's teams so when Pep Guardiola was at Barcelona I liked watching even if I, I was young so I wasn't really watching much football Watching them in hindsight is still nice. Because you could just go on to any video of any game, not even a highlight, and it would be impressive. Because the way he was, he put them up was to 
really, really play like a machine. It was like a juggernaut of football. Well-oiled machine. When he went to Bayern, same thing. And now at City, what he's doing is really, really impressive. Because he had to adapt the game to the... He had to adapt his style of coaching to the English game. Because when he went there and tried, like... The way he was playing at Bayern and... Well, he also adapted for Bayern because the German league is more physical than the Spanish league. And then the English league is way more physical than any other league. Yeah. And every team can cause trouble to every other team, which is why it's entertaining to watch. Yeah. And so he had to adopt, adapt his game. He had to like get stronger centre-backs. Like The centre-backs he has now aren't like the centre-backs he had at Barcelona. He had Piquet at Barcelona, who wasn't very fast, and Puyol. Puyol was a really good centre-back. And then he had... Um, and then he had a few uh, like uh, substitute center backs but the thing about them is they were footballers first the defenders second these guys knew how to pass the ball and cross the ball go score so they were goals. like all-rounders basically yeah, that's what you said they were good at passing puyol wasn't very great at passing he was just a leader he was the captain yeah. but now at city for example ruben diaz knows how to do everything but he's a defender first. Like his main priority yeah. is to be able to not let the ball get in the goal at yeah. any cost. Like against Paris, he wasn't really. He was his pass accuracy wasn't that high. This guy was just clearing. He was uh, he was blocking shots left, right, and center. His main priority was to defend before play before just playing to your left back, playing to your right back, and everything like that. So that really helped him out. You know, you know, there's a Barcelona have their own team in Spain for polo as well. Really? Because polo and F1 are the both are the only two sports I watch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You watch Formula 1? Yeah. Like, I started watching like recently, quite recently. I watched yeah. a movie about Formula 1. It made me like really... Which one? Really... Um, it's called Rush. Rush. No, I watched that one as well. It's with Nicky Lauda. Yeah. Nicky Lauda yeah. and whatever the English guy's name is. Yeah, I can't remember. He's played by the guy from Thor. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Chris the Hemsworth? Examiner. Chris Hemsworth, yeah. 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 So that's that's what got me into like, watching racing, but I still don't watch it. Yes. Like it made me want to watch it, but I still don't watch it. Like the sports I've started enjoying more and more. Like the thing with my family is when I went back to Nigeria no. Yeah, when I went back to Nigeria everyone started playing basketball. Yeah. My cousin grew really tall. Rough. No, Ryan, he grew. He's like six something now, six foot something. And my brother's growing. He's already taller than me. And wow. he's like, he's the genes like just skipped to you. The genes yeah. just skipped to you. The the skipped height. You over. Yeah, like, I'm the shortest non-baby in the family. Oh, you took the genetic L. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the shortest person that's not a baby, basically. Anyone so you're the shortest person who can grow facial hair. No, maybe some people still can't grow facial hair and they're already taller than me. Like, um, I'm 5'7". Yeah. In centimeters, that's 170. And anyone, like... I'm taller than... I'm shorter than everyone except from the age of 12 and under. There you go. Yeah, but do you want to know something interesting about height as well? You can still grow. It, It depends on your posture as well. So, around like two months ago... When I went to like the doctor's office to measure my height, I was at six foot, and I was always at six foot. But as soon as I like fixed my posture, 
I was like six foot one point five. Okay. So like that means like straightening your back, you know, like hunching your yeah, shoulders yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Straightening your neck. Whack. Then I get to like five eight. <laughs> yeah, it's an L, but it's better than being five seven. Uh, yeah, I mean. Because it depends on your spine, isn't it? And if your spine's like curved, you're not gonna be as tall as you can be. Yeah, you told me like you found out that you you're gonna keep growing for a while. Yeah, right? yeah. So mm-hmm. I had to. I went to the endocrinologist like yeah. this summer mm-hmm. in August. Mm-hmm. So I found out I'm gonna keep growing till twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to hit the six three mark or something. No, I don't want to be six three. I think that's too tall. I say like I'd sell for like six two. Six two is like all right. It's like average. Average, no, it's maybe average. in the Netherlands. No, no, like, no. I'd say it's like a decent height. I think Netherlands have an average of six foot or six one. Yeah. Their average height is six one. That's enormous. Like everyone's your height. Is, isn't that uh, also like? Isn't like uh, the average height rate really in Nordic countries as well? Yeah, Scandinavian countries as well. Yeah, Sweden. And um, stuff. It has to do with nutrition a lot. Yeah, like what you eat. Nutrition and lifestyle as well. Yeah. Also, if you look at them, they're relatively less stressed. As well, if you look at their lifestyle and, like, the governmental policies. Okay. And, and how they live, like, lifestyle basically is less stressful than people who live in London and New York, say, for example. Yeah. Because I said stress has a massive impact on your life. So, if you just look at males, for example... The more stressed you are, the less testosterone you have. Okay. So testosterone is is like um it's impacted by many things like smoking, sleep, you Eating know chicken. Nutrition, yeah. It's where where you eat, you know? Yeah. And how you live as well. So the more confidence you have, the more testosterone you have as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy to think about that. Like, so the more confident you are, the more open you are, the more testosterone your body will produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, testosterone is an interesting thing. Um, there are many... What was it? There were studies that, took, that were conducted to find out, like, what affect guys' testosterone yeah. in terms of just in the moment. Like, what would uh, make guys... Uh, what was it? No, it wasn't testosterone. I think there's a psychologist, an evolutionary psychologist, who wanted to find out what would get guys more excited. I don't know if he was checking their testosterone levels, or whether he was che- he was he was getting enzymes and checking something. It's possibly testosterone levels. Wouldn't it be make more sense for him to do a brain scan and see what part of your bla- brain lights up? No, but he wanted to do the experiment. He wanted to do required having a a, a sports car. Okay. So what he wanted to do with the guys was. He wanted to put the guys in a sports car and then he wanted them to drive slowly in a in a populated area where there are a lot of women to find out whether their testosterone would go up because they're in this nice car so people are more likely to look at them so yeah. maybe it'll they feel boost more their confidence, confidence, right? Yeah. But then he also made them drive on empty highways, just empty highways with no one there. And the results showed that the testosterone was the same both times. Which is really interesting, because like, that means ju- just the fact that you put a guy in a nice car just boosts their testosterone so much to the point where they don't even care if people are looking at them. Yeah, exactly. No, I can <laughs> imagine that, because just enjoying the ride yeah. as well, just enjoying yeah, yeah, being yeah. in the car. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or maybe like it could be. Maybe a better way to do it would be to just do the same experiment but with different cars. Yeah, well, obviously, if maybe. they're just driving a normal car, testosterone is going to be norm- at normal levels. Yeah. Except if maybe they're driving it fast or something, and yeah. then testosterone will go up. Possibly, anyways. Maybe, maybe testosterone, adrenaline, because testosterone would be a byproduct of adrenaline sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, have you been reading any books recently? Yeah, no, I started this uh, as we were talking about poetry. I, was, I started a book by Walt Whitman. It's um, Walt Whitman is a poet from New York. He's he's known as the founding father of free verse. Okay. Yeah. And there's this, there's this book by, you probably heard of it, you know, Fault in Our Stars? I think I watched the movie. There's a movie for it, Yeah, right? it's like... Um, it's like a, a drama, romance, teen movie, coming of age movie. I think I've watched it, yeah. Yeah, so there's like these two kids. These two like, there's a girl and a guy, they both have cancer. Okay. Basically. That, that's the gist of the movie. That's basically the movie. Okay. And um, the author wrote this other book called Paper Towns. Okay. And I read that book, and in that book, um, Walt Whitman was mentioned. So I was like, oh, interesting. I'll get his book. I started reading it. It's very interesting. So is that his style? What's his style? His say? style is free verse. So his styles aren't... It's not anything about like rhyming. Or anything. It's just about like him writing about nature. Mm-hmm. Or him writing about his life. Because his poetry is influenced by people who, who were fighting the Civil War at the time. Where? In America. Okay. Because as I said, he was from New York. Okay. Yeah, so this was also during the era when um, when Woodstock took place as well, I think. No, wait. No, no, okay, so basically he his writing was inspired by the Civil War. Okay. But also it was inspiration for many artists who performed at Woodstock. Okay. You know Woodstock, right? Woodstock was um, like a very big festival of like rock. It's like a hippie festival, basically. Okay. Yeah, in the 1960s, I believe. And is it because of poetry you got interested in this guy? Or was it just because you saw his name come up somewhere? His name kept coming up in the book I was reading. And okay. So, so I just like this research found that he was a really good poet. But other than that, I, one of my favorite poets of all time is Rumi. The... He's a Persian poet. Mm. He invented Sufism. Okay. So you know Sufism, right? No. You know those uh, whirling dervishes? I, I don't know I don't know much about poetry at all. You need to no, whirling dervishes isn't even poetry. Okay. It's um those guys that dress up in like those dresses. Okay. And they wear like those uh like those hats. There's like red hats and they spin in circles. Okay. And so that's supposed to bring ecstasy to you and bring you closer to God, apparently. Okay. So he invented that and he's um a Persian poet from the 13th century, I believe, and his he wrote the Masnavi, which uh-huh. is one of the best-selling books in America as well, and um, it's basically his life stories. Yeah, okay. and um, his style of poetry is dramatic poetry, so he writes about war, love, and he likes to romanticize everything. 
So he, he romanticized the idea of love. He, romant, he romanticized the idea of um, war and politics. So tell me what you mean by romanticizing, because I was talking with friends and I don't really know the definition as like in detail. What would you say it is, like romanticizing something or romanticism? Because I want to know what it means. See, it, because it might be misleading, like the word itself. Yeah, exactly. No, I know what you mean because I think rom- romanticizing means something else to everyone. To me, if you romanticize something, you would make it seem more emotional than it is. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, I was trying to find the. So definition. romanticizing means that's less logical, and it's more emotional. Okay. For me, at least. So it's more for love you do something out of love okay. you do something out of jealousy all right so it says emphasizing inspiration subjectivity and primacy of the individual so kind of what you were talking about yeah and then the state of or quality of being romantic which just comes back to obviously what you've just said yeah. okay because but the thing is most things in love in i mean life sorry not love in life and love, probably, can be romanticized. Okay. Like life itself can be romanticized if you want it to be. But I don't think that's true. I think the older you get, the less things are romanticized. The older you get, the more life you've experienced, I guess. Like, yeah. you start having a more, what would it be? Broad and logical view of the world. Yeah. You don't get more logical when you grow up, as you grow up. You get more wise. You acquire wisdom. Because there's no correlation between wisdom and intelligence. Yeah. It's a weird thing, because you'd assume the more intelligent you are, the more wise you are. But also, like... But wait, what would you say wisdom is? What, like common sense? It's... Would you say... It's possibly a combination of common sense and knowing what to say and do. When you're supposed to say and do it. Possibly. I'm not sure. It's... It's being sensible in your decisions... Possibly. I say this because... You, you, so you're saying being able to make the right decisions? Being able to make... Not only the right decisions, but there's decisions that are... That are more... Depends on your situation. So if, if you want peace at that time, decisions that are more conducive to peace yeah. for yourself and for the people around you, for example. Whilst if you're, if you're smart, it doesn't really... It, there's not a correlation or a direct correlation between intelligence and and wisdom because also when you're intelligent it's easier to lie to yourself no you can create a more elaborate lie for yourself yeah you if can you think con- about it you can convince yourself something that's not true yeah something that someone else wouldn't be able to convince himself yeah. of for, so that's that's why if someone is clever and is caught in a bad habit for example they can convince themselves they're doing it for reasons that are that they can reason towards with time so you can have a logical chain of thought to get back to why they're doing what they're doing why they're smoking for example and they can reason back to it and it creates a better web of lies that's harder to dispute than someone that's just like yeah i'm just doing it and because uh, i'm addicted or because i like it you know so they can they can because you can convince it. yourself that it's beneficial to you when it's like clearly not yeah just the lies are stronger yeah. and, and they're more elaborate which allows you to 
continue believing them. Mm. Like, intelligence can be both a virtue and a curse at the same time. Obviously, it can be, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing because it helps you out in life to be smart. Like, if you think about it, most people that go to university are smart. And I don't mean very smart. I just mean, if you look at them on the standard deviation of IQ, yeah. they will be above 100. Definitely. Almost definitely. That also depends what you're studying, to be honest. Yeah. If you okay. say, if you take a mean average, like an average, then yes. If you take average for university students, the average IQ for a university students is probably around 110 to 115. The average IQ of a master's goes up by maybe 10 points because people that are going to do master's generally want are more intellectual. So they want to get into the more intellectual side of uh, whatever subject they're doing. Then PhDs, you shift to another 10 points mm -hmm. to the, towards the positive extreme. Yes. So, so, for example, the average PhD in... In so the average engineer, for example, has an IQ of one hundred thirty-five, which is ridiculously high. Only maybe fifteen percent of the population have that. If you look at the positive side of the standard deviation curve, yes, and that means they process stuff fast, and they can. It allows them to think on their feet. It gives you a a, a on-field advantage to have an IQ that's that's around that. So the chart. Um, I think so this was conducted by I think the experiment was not the experiment the data was collected in Canada and they found out average IQs of people in general to find out what what that does to people like no not what that does so if it would correlate to the type of work they're doing so what was it there was a bracket of 125 no 130 135 or above, or 135, and the people that were in that category were like engineers, chemists, um, high-class lawyers, that sort of uh, people. So people that are, are paid to sometimes think on their feet. People because, who have to process false. And they have to problem solve, and they can have different questions to solve basically every day. And then as it goes lower, then they're some jobs that become more and more repetitive yeah to not cause that much strain on your brain because for example and if you go higher the highest in university the people with the highest iqs would be the math professors and the physics professors yeah that's understandable that's understandable. it's reasonable because yes. it, yeah. it it's so so math and physics are so similar to the patterns you find in logical thought that they almost overlap. So even if they overlap 90%, you find out that most of what's happening is common ground. And that's why their IQs tend to be quite high. Yeah. And um, so, well, I, obviously I, I, I find IQ interesting in the first place because it's a functional method. It's a functional method of me measuring cognitive ability. Some people say it isn't, but it actually, so what they do, I think, is they take multiple you can, can, you can do an IQ test completely different to another IQ test and it will still be a valid IQ test if it's conducted properly. Because all you have to do is get some questions that require analytical thought. So they require a bit of problem solving and not necessarily in the mathematical way of problem solving. So like 
you've seen the ones where they have multiple words and they tell you, oh, what's the odd one out, for example. Yeah, or the one where they make holes on a piece of paper. Yeah, and they tell you and to... They f- and they fold it and you're supposed to see how it would look when it's unfolded. Yeah, and you're supposed to visualize that. Yeah. It's because they want to see as much as you have. They want to collect as much information from your cognitive processing as they have, as you as they can possibly get. And then from that, they um, extract the common... They call it the G factor. Using that, they would then rank order you on a list of people. So the bigger the sample size, the more accurate the score will be. And then they rank order you. And then the higher you are, obviously, the higher your IQ will be when it comes out. And the lower you are, the lower your IQ is going to be. See, many people say that the university system is unfair. Because where you go to university is based on what you write on one piece of paper at the end of a year. So would you say that they should factor in where your IQ is when Uh, giving an admission to university? I don't know if they should factor in what your IQ is because, for example, if someone works hard, if someone's a hard worker, yeah. you can you can basically work hard enough to push something that you'd call sort of in inverted brackets because it is not entirely accurate, your functional IQ by 15 IQ points. So if you work harder than someone else, you can work the equivalent of 50, 15 extra IQ points. Yeah. You understand? So if I have, if someone has an IQ of 150, someone has an IQ of 135, but the person with an IQ of 135 works much, much harder than the guy with 150. Yeah. They can have the functional equivalent of 15 IQ points, which just brings them back to basically 150, you know? So I don't know if they should do IQ tests. I think they should... So admissions test is a good way of doing it. The way, like, you know, Oxford, Cambridge, and I don't know about American unis, if they do... Um, um, if they do entrance tests, they kind of do SATs, right? Yeah, they do SATs, also the ACTs. Yeah, so they and have, those are sort of IQ tests because you can extract. And then the, also when you, most universities you apply through Common App. Yeah. And uh, through the Common App you have to write your own like personal essay, which puts like a... It's a personal, personal state- touch. Yeah, personal okay. statement. You but know, for you every have, uni. Yeah. Different. It's different. And it's different questions as well. Okay. So, so if you apply to the UC, so University of California's, you have a set of different questions that you have to do. Okay. You have to write like a 800 words each or 500 words each. Yeah. Something like that. I think, what's it called? Imperial has, the I think, the closest thing to an IQ test once you apply. And yeah. if you get into the interview stage. Because they really have something similar to an IQ test. I mean, I haven't done it, but I, uh, I've heard people talk about it. And it's quite similar to what you'd see in IQ tests. Like they ask you analytical questions and you're meant to answer them. That's the same and for um, London Business School. So really? LBS is um, it's top three in the world for business, uh, business and economics. Yeah. So both. Uh, and um, they only do masters and majors. Okay. So when you apply for a master or major, you have to do their own entrance exam. Yeah. Which has different stages. So there's a essay writing stage. It depends on the course, obviously, but... There's an essay writing stage. There's like um, analytical, analytical and cognitive stage. Okay. So, which I I think would be probably similar to an IQ test. Yeah, all of those together become similar to an IQ test yeah. because and, uh, they also have to see. There's also like a mathematics. Oh, okay. Portion. Okay. So you have to revise for all of these and like study all of these and yeah. do the exam. But 
see for the cognitive and analytical side you can't really revise it you can it's more like common sense yeah but you can also familiarize yourself with it to a point true even true. if like because if you've never seen it before you don't even know where to start thinking in a sense so just to familiarize yourself with it you just go on just any non-verbal reasoning test look at it a bit and find out whether just what's going on you know and uh, just helps you to it helps you in anything to familiarize yourself with it you know even if practice isn't going to help too much are you going to find this interesting in um, the 1990s Goldman Sachs which is um, an investment banking firm used to give out IQ tests to junior incoming analysts okay. so the analysts who would start like junior analysts who would start in summer would have to do an IQ test before they entered okay so they could like you know look at your cognitive yeah. ability you know they, they banned IQ testing in they banned IQ testing from firms in I think in America or Canada so what they do is now they well they just found a way around it and just they just call them general cognitive ability tests yeah. now basically IQ tests but just legal <laughs> but they need to do them just so that they find out because you need to you need to find out if someone's going to be either a liability to your firm or they're going to bring in like um, money if they're going to be an asset or a liability yeah, they're going to be an asset or a liability exactly it's important it's that's how firms operate if you want a firm to be successful you need to, you need find to the make people. profit you need to make money yeah you can't just it's not a charity is it yeah exactly and um, another thing I found interesting when I when I was like doing my internship at JP Morgan mm-hmm. they did like because I didn't go through an interview stage okay. so they gave me like a mock interview so how it would be for a real candidate okay because I was summer summer intern so one of the questions that my interviewer this woman named uh, Mrs. Toomer. Okay. Like to ask at the end of the interview was, tell me a joke. Okay. And 80% of the time, the person would not be able to tell a joke because they would be so, like, bewildered. Yeah. That she's asking me to tell me a joke. Because that would show that you can think on your feet. Yeah. And that you're more relaxed and not too uptight. Yeah. I mean, it'd be weird to put someone on the spot and tell exactly. them to tell you a joke, right? Yeah. Because sense of humor is also not a thing that everyone has. Exactly, like, but it could be a generic it. joke yeah. though. It doesn't have to be funny. Oh, okay, just any joke. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just like, yeah. just tell me a joke. So it could be a knock knock joke. Okay, okay. Whatever. Mm, that's yeah. like an icebreaker at the end of the conversation, just to find out whether you're still, whether your brain has fried or whether it's still functioning. All right. That's that's interesting. That's an interesting way of of interviewing people. It also must help sort them out for exactly, her. Exactly, because there's thousands of candidates, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I find I find IQ very interesting because, like, in America, you know, you can't be inducted into the American army with a with an IQ of less than eighty three, and that's in America. That's around fifteen percent of the population. That's a lot of people, and. So what do they do? Because you can't get inducted into the American army to do the most basic job that they can find for you. Because they think you're more a liability than an asset. So what can you do? It becomes hard. I think it's... You could work extremely menial tasks. The thing is, you have, to do, you have to do something repetitive. and Ice cream scooper. Something yeah. like that. I mean... 
It's menial tasks, basically. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we have such variance in humanity. Like, it's not unfortunate, but it's... It's not a very great problem to have, you know? Yeah, you know, but, you know, luckily we both don't suffer with that problem, so it's not an issue. Yeah, like... The thing is, because of circumstance, you probably won't meet many people that are on the low end of the IQ curve. Just because of who you are, because you go to university. So most of the people you meet will either have IQs hovering around yours, or can be higher, or slightly lower. You'll be able to hold conversations. But holding a conversation with, with someone that doesn't... Like, in the first place, not many people like to talk about conceptual ideas, right? Yes. And the the more practical and pragmatic your life is, the less likely you are to even talk about or think about those ideas in the first place, you know? So some people just don't want to think about them at all. And it would be hard to hold a conversation if you wanted to. Or it'd have to be a practical conversation. Yeah, a conversation about maybe how to fix a car. Now you know how to fix a car. Maybe how to sweep a floor properly. Or maybe how to fix a car. That's possible. Just no, something fixing a car would be... It's complex. It, yeah. But... Maybe it would... Maybe changing a tire. Maybe changing a tire or something basic. Yeah, possibly. You know? Um, I mean, I, I really do find... I do find cognitive testing interesting. Psychometrics. I wouldn't pursue it as per... Like, I wouldn't go into psychology to do psychometrics as a master's and then be a psychometrician. But I still find it interesting. Wait, Nabil, wait, I have a question for you. Yep. You've changed what you want to do at university or higher education Yeah. over the past few years. So when I met you, you wanted to be an architect. Yep. And then you wanted to become a physicist. Yep. And now you're doing engineering. I still love physics. I'm so I, I'm like, I'm like confused. Like what's, what's, what do you see yourself? What do you see your life being 10 years from now? So when you're 28, mm. like I, where do you see yourself? That's a loaded question. I, first of all, I want to see first of all, what I would like to do in university. What I would like to do in university is physics. I find it more interesting than engineering because yeah. I like the concepts. I like grasping concepts more than I like learning about materials for example because materials is a part of mechanical engineering for example <laughs> that you have to do and you have to do a lot of practical work and stuff like that I like theoretical work so I like thinking about ideas a lot what I think I have very elaborate it's not elaborate well I'll tell I'll, I'll say it I was thinking Best case scenario, I do a physics bachelor's or master's, so three or four years of physics. Then after that, I do one year of engineering, a master's, a one-year master's in engineering. So double master's. Yeah, so just one year extra at yeah. the end. No, I, I know, a double master's. And then go into engineering. So you want to become an engineer? Possibly. I'm well, not I certain. That. See? I'm... Yeah, but 
The Where? reason I'd Nigeria, want to do that is not because I'd want. Yeah, probably. I'd start off here, like I'd start off working jobs here, yeah. and then I'd try to open companies get later on. Yeah, just to get experience of how it is to work for companies and how a company operates. Yeah, just how a company operates, how an engineering company operates, or because I think I'd like to emphasize, I'd like to be part of a research and development team, for example, to to develop some, just to do proper research with companies. Or with universities, like, it's not likely, but it's, it is definitely a possibility, but still not a likely possibility, that I could enjoy teaching. I don't see myself doing it, but I'm saying it's obviously a possibility if I do physics, you know? It's always a possibility, because that's what a lot of physicists go into. But as with a physics degree, most of them don't even go into physics after. Most of them go into engineering and software development. See, that's the thing about physics and maths. It opens your door to loads of possibilities. So with physics and maths, you can go into investment banking. Yeah. You can go into software de- development. You Man can... City. Man City have a hedge fund. Um, the person that... I think the person that deals with their hedge fund is an astrophysicist, right? Yeah. He's a young guy. The one who runs City Football Group. Yeah. Is an astrophysicist. Yeah. Um, a lot of people. Is it a lot of people that work on Wall Street are also well. A lot obviously there are lots of investment bankers and stuff like that, right? Lots of people who work on Wall Street either come from four backgrounds. So one would be physics and maths. Yeah. The other would be economics. Yeah. There would be business. Mm-hmm. And then you would have like people who come from backgrounds you wouldn't expect to end up in um in what's going in uh okay in investment banking people who were doctors okay lawyers yeah i think lawyer would be a common would be it's not one of it's the not, common outliers yeah even doctors like imagine you're a doctor and you just go into investment banking hmm. but i think but it'd be easier if you come from a finance finance or mathematical background because it gives you like a quantitative outlook but the thing you see what I like about physics right is I like a lot of things about physics but this is a practical aspect of it you can be when you're a physicist you kind of have to be a good mathematician you have to be good with numbers anyway so yeah yeah, maths and physics go hand in hand but if you're a mathematician that doesn't necessarily make you a good physicist because physics also you need to deal with concepts so there are loads of math courses in physics, but there aren't many physics courses when you do a math degree. I don't think there are any physics courses if you do a math degree. I'm not sure. Yeah. I haven't really looked into a math degree. But it would depend on what which type of math you're pursuing as well. Yeah, like statistical, mechanical. Pure. There's yeah. some people do pure math. But the shift from architecture to a scientific subject, anyways, was because of how little science I found out architects actually do. Because at the start, because you know when I applied, I didn't do much research because I always thought, okay, I'm I'm decent at drawing, I'm okay at math, I'm, I'm pretty good at physics, I'm alright at these, so I'll it's, do something that allows me to combine them, right? So I thought maybe architecture will do that, and I like buildings, I liked uh, I liked structures. Yeah. I remember I like, when I met you and we were talking about like 
just life and you showed me your one of your first drawings you made was of Burj Khalifa wasn't it yeah when I went to Dubai yeah it was just like joining buildings it was it was weird and cool at the time but that so that was why I wanted to be an architect really also like you know as a kid everyone wants to be a footballer right yeah. and so well most people want to be most boys want to be footballers I want to be I think I told you I want to be an imagineer right, go on oh yeah. so the Disney wait not Disney is yeah it, yeah Disney. Is it Disney engineers or something yeah it's like um it's like Disney Illustrator so they would design the they would design like rides in Disney World and they would design like they would help make the movies illustrate the movies and that's really basically cool. like you have like you just let like your creative creativity flow yeah I think I feel where engineers are allowed to be creative the, the end products are usually quite creative you, you quite creative and really fascinating like the the outcomes are very um Fulfilling? Yeah, I guess it's fulfilling because the engineers actually want to work on those projects. Yeah. It's something they enjoy doing, which is why they're there in the first place. It's not just bureaucratic work and they're working in an office and stuff like that. Everyone's allowed to use their creativity and everyone's allowed to also use their engineering skill, their mathematical ability and all of that. Yeah. But, okay, so back to like... A lot of kids, a lot of boys want to be footballers, right? A lot of kids in general want to be footballers. But it works out for very, very few people. But you could place. have actually become a footballer, though. Possibly. Like, yeah. I don't have... The thing is, I don't have the fitness to be a footballer. Like, I I don't have the workout regimen to be a footballer. I could do that. I could... You could have the regimen because if you just replace your regimen for studying with a football regimen... Yeah, but then... My, my studies you'd have take to a sacrifice you'd have yeah. to sacrifice things and so football is a sacrifice I, I made at the end of the day right and I think it's a it's a fair enough one because I, I still do play but just to have For fun, fun. Yeah. and rather than yeah it does like if being a professional is even on the cards whenever it happens I'm fine with it happening for just three or four years I wouldn't mind yeah. have my fun after university so I'm like 23 what is it 22 just play for like 2-3 years and that's it like if I am to ever play professional I first of all I have to become fit again properly fit I have to get my cardio up work on my technique and then start playing again you know I can't just go in and play start for a team playing. that's not yeah. how it would work um, so but when I was younger I was really into football so I thought you know Football's plan A, architecture's plan B. So I never really sat down and thought about architecture that much, you know? Yeah. So I never really sat down and said, why do I actually like this a lot? But then when I had to apply to university, you know, I was like a, a bit younger than people in our year. I was slightly younger. So. Wait. Wait. Just slight, just a few months. Uh, like, you, I'm, um, you're younger than I'm me. I'm younger than you, yeah. But. I'm younger than almost everyone else. Yeah. So when everyone was 18, I was still 17. When everyone was 16, I was still Yeah, when 15. you both started university, you were both 17. Yeah. Yep. So what happened with that is... So I'd always been like, okay, I'll play football because I'm younger. I'll play football, hopefully professionally. And if that doesn't work out, 
I'll do architecture, right? So I used that and I applied for architecture to universities. Um, but what I found out, there were moments that were crucial in making me find out that I didn't want to do architecture. One was, I think the, well, I'm going to, I said moments, but there's one really crucial one. You remember when I was doing the drawings for UCL? Yeah, I remember the, the watercolor drawings and... Some of the, yeah, just yeah. the five drawings. I remember they were really good drawings. Yeah. They were really creative as well. They, like the one of, um, was that, was it big school? And it was like people playing football. And then a wardrobe. And then a wardrobe yeah, that yeah. opened, yeah. So, first of all, I really didn't enjoy doing those drawings. I really, really didn't enjoy doing those drawings. Really? Yeah. I remember you would sit up to like 1 a.m. at night doing yeah, the drawings. Yeah, because it's... Was it more because you had to? It's rather because, than I've ha- because I had to, but also I, I also like doing stuff properly when I'm doing them. Yeah. You know? So if I'm going to start drawing, I want to finish it yeah. and make it good. Yeah, I right? agree with that. That's something I would do as well. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy doing it. I wasn't like, oh, okay, this is fun. This is my idea of fun. I had fun in many ways. I had fun playing football. I had fun with my friends. I had fun doing math and and studying for math exams and doing math tests. I also had fun helping people out with math, you know? Uh, even if I wasn't doing the most advanced mathematics, it was, it was still something I liked doing a lot more than drawing. Like, probably... I can probably count the amount of drawings I've done in my entire life, you know? Really? And most people that are applying to something like architecture or art can't be able to count how many drawings they've done in their entire lives, you know? I can't count how many drawings I've done in my entire life. Most most people that don't know how to draw have done more drawings than I have in my life. I know. I've done... I can count how many paintings I've done. I've never painted. Really? I've painted probably like once and it was really bad and it wasn't no. good. I painted seven paintings. Yeah, I've never painted. Yeah. I, I don't see myself painting either. I think if there's anything artistic I'll do, I want to learn how to play the piano. Piano, yeah. yeah. You, you you want that too, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I know. yeah, I know. I know how to play, play um, what's called Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars. But that's like very basic. Yeah, now I want to actually learn how to play. I... I need to see. Hopefully, if I'm not studying a lot during the summer, I will, I will play piano for like two, two hours a day. Yeah. Every day, and maybe I'll make a dent in learning how to play it yeah. by the end of the summer. Probably will. You know. Um, I, I think I'll take you like um, less than a month to learn all the keyboards. Probably. Like the keyboard. I don't know. I mean, because really it's, repet- it's repetitive, isn't it? It's like. It's repetitive. It's, it shouldn't be that hard, I think. Because it took me like 20 minutes to learn how to play. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. Sorry, but that's like very basic. Yeah. But I learned like the keys, like there's a G, F, and then it goes from like, you know, low pitch to high pitch. Yeah. I mean, it would take a few years to actually become good at it. it yeah. would, so it's a long term investment. Especially since we're older as time. well. Yeah. It would be harder. Because the. The older you get, the more plastic your brain becomes. I'm talking about plastic as in... As in non-malleable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the less information you'll be able to learn and as fast as a child, which is why, like, if a child is in a bilingual... bilingual 
Bilingual. Bilingual or trilingual like family, they pick up a lot of languages and they pick them up fast. Exactly. But same way we did. As well, well. Yeah, when you yeah. grow up, it's hard to pick up a language. Yeah. Because you're not talking, you're not speaking to anyone in it all the time, and. It's, it's not a constant. Yeah, it's not a constant. And it's harder to actually learn it. Exactly. Your, your yeah. brain becomes, your brain wants to make foundations and stick to those foundations, which is why it's hard to unlearn something you've already learned. Not in the senses you can forget stuff, but the basis of your knowledge, it's hard to shift that. You know, I don't know how to explain this. So let me think about how I'd say this in a practical sense. I, I understand what you're saying. So what you're saying is like when you're a kid, your brain is more easily manipulated and you can process new information easier. Yeah. But when you're older, it's harder to take in new information and make sense of it. Yeah, especially if it doesn't fit in with your foundational knowledge. Yeah. Like your the the basic, the basic um, tenements, tenets of your knowledge. Yeah. yeah. If you if they're different, they you don't actually acquire information yeah. as efficiently as you would as a child which is why it's uh, I mean maybe you know I was, we were talking about this before like if you're a clever child you actually don't learn how to study for a while yeah no, that, that's a problem I yeah, have that, we were talking a, about that is that. a problem yeah so because um, I said it's a relatively clever child mm. and to this day I've never learned how to study i've always gone off easy with no there's never been any consequences to me not studying which usually like spurs people into studying so i passed i got you know my gcse's where i got like a stars and a's a levels were decent i got my a levels weren't good but i got to good universities so i got offers from you know like good universities in america and the uk yeah and even now in my university, I am not doing as much. I'm not studying, but I'm still getting above ninety percent my exams. Okay. So I don't know. It just I don't know when I'm gonna learn how to study, because the the act of just sitting down, opening your books, and starting to study and write, is something that's just so unappealing and alien to me. Okay. I mean, I'd lo- like to me I'd rather spend that time doing something more useful or something that I get a joy out of yeah more productive in your idea of productivity yeah okay so the thing with me is I knew I was being unproductive no I know I'm but being I, unproductive but I was doing it anyways but haven't faced the consequences of it yet. yeah I mean so what happened I was in the French system till about year so 13, 12. So till year 11. Year 11. So GC, I was, GCSEs. I was so in the... class T. No, class 2. Okay. So till year 11, I was in the French system. All their years up until year 10, I, I was an easy person to teach. I picked up information. And when it was time to study, I studied. Like when I needed to finish my homework, I finished my homework. When I needed to have like a revision for history lesson, I'd revise. It was not a, it wasn't like an issue. But I didn't go above and beyond in any year. 
I didn't sit down actively and choose to study. Um, so, like, if if they'd set us homework in school, I'd just try to finish it as fast as possible and go play games, video games or football, yeah. you know? And so I didn't have a work ethic other than just finish my homework. And with time, I became faster and faster at finishing work so I could actually finish it in the classroom whilst they're giving us the homework. So I'd finished homework, go home, just play video games. There was a year, um, so year, eleven, year nine, year nine. Apple had their press conference that year or the year before, and they announced a game called Vainglory, and I'd been playing. Now I I used to love watching the Apple press conferences, right? I really, because uh, I I got hooked when I used to, I, I don't know, maybe when I was eleven or twelve. I started watching Steve Jobs' press conferences and I really enjoyed them, the way he introduced the first iPhone. So this was he just was, me as a kid. I was see, like, oh, and also, like, awesome. speaking about Steve Jobs and Apple, Apple and Steve Jobs aren't that famous because solely because of their product. It's because Steve Jobs was a marketing genius. He was very good at marketing. He's one of the best marketers in our lifetime. And that's the reason why he's so successful. It wasn't because of, you know, the Apple was... A great product. There are different. There are phones out there that are better than Apple. Yeah. Probably at better price as well. Yeah. But just the way he marketed Apple, and he the brand he created around Apple. And also he knew what to. He knew what he should have. He knew what to get his influ- um his engineers to concentrate on. Yeah. Like he really focused on user interface. User interface, the size, how sleek it looked. Yeah, that was like, important. Yeah. Because for a, if you. Pay a premium, your phone better look slick, you know. And And like, there's a famous story of him. Um, after the iPhone, the iPod, which um, he told them they could make a spawner. This did they declined. They were like, no. So he dropped into a fish tank. Was it? And um, bubbles came out of the phone. He said, "You can't make a smaller. Why is it bubbles? Because bubbles mean that there's there's space inside. There's air inside." Wow. Yeah. The. there was an interesting story about him. So, when I, Apple was developing the iPad, so you see, you know, the iPad doesn't have the built in calculator app. Really? Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. So, the iPad doesn't have the calculator app, right? And every year, everyone's like, so why the hell does the iPad not have the calculator app? And I was watching something. I wanted to find out about it recently as well because I have downloaded just calculator apps on the iPad. And I was like, so why isn't it a thing? So I researched it and I found out the reason it isn't a thing because when he told his engineers to work on an iPad, on a tablet, they were maybe two months before release. And he found out that what they were doing was doing a scaled-up version of the iPhone calculator for the iPad. Ah. And he told his engineer, his chief engineer at the time... It would be just like buying an iPad that's expanded, basically. Yeah, so the calculator app would just be the iPhone calculator app, but big. Yeah. So he's like, so what the hell is this? Why don't you have a proper calculator app? And they said, well, we, we didn't think we needed one. We'll just expand the iPhone one. So he gave them an ultimatum. He was like... If by release date, you're not able to have a slick looking functional calculator app for the iPad, you won't have a calculator app for the iPad. And so to this day, the iPad doesn't have a calculator app. 
I mean, I don't know. In all those years, I'd assume someone else like. You know, I remember um, <laughs> Tim Cook would tell them to like. When build I got the, the iPad app. Mini when I first came, I remember having a calculator app because maybe iPad Mini. No, the, the other ones don't. Like, if yeah, I, I don't know about the other. One. I don't remember about the other ones, but I remember it just because I remember using a calculator on the iPad Mini. Maybe you had it downloaded. Maybe it was one maybe. of those, those early downloads. You know. Maybe I don't know. I'm not too sure. Not yeah. something I yeah, yeah paid attention to. I don't know. Maybe the the iPad Mini possibly could have had a calculator app. I can't remember. I mean, I've never had a calculator. I remember app it was the calculator app because of um, the colors, isn't it? It's like the orange. Yeah, but that's not. Like, but it was. It was. I remember it being the. The Apple, Apple calculator app. I'm like, ninety percent sure. Yeah, I can look it up. I don't know. Let me see. Yeah, but before that, we were talking about uh, work ethic. Yeah, I'm gonna come to that. So, yeah, you were talking about your iPad having the calculator app. iPad calculator app. So, let's see. So, I, Apple iPad still does not support the iPad with its basic calculator app. So, Even the iPad mini. It, it's never had a calculator app. So you can download free calculators, but the iPad's never had a calculator app. Oh. Um, yeah, we were talking about productivity. So, basically, when Vainglory came out in year nine, yes, but when I started so playing fifth, it in year nine, basically. no, 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 not fifth. Sorry, um, removes. Yeah, removes. So I was twelve, and I had a friend group, and I got everyone hooked on the game. All of my friends. Yeah. We'd like go to each other's houses just to play this game together. And it took a huge toll on everyone. Studies. Except yours. No, it took a toll on my grade slightly. Like I had a maybe one two percent decrease in my average. But I was still first in the class, which yeah. is which is good. That's right? what you wanted, yeah. Um there was just one time it really, really, it was bad because we had a substitute math teacher that came in and that's what we were getting into trigonometry. So cosine, sine and tangent. And I paid zero attention in his lessons because he had a really thick accent and... Monotonous voice. No, no, he was loud and everything. He didn't have a monotonous voice, but it's just, I couldn't listen to him because I didn't know what he was saying, right? So I didn't pay attention and I didn't make notes. For the uh, for the trigonometry lessons, so what happened after was the teacher, the actual teacher, the main teacher, went for like every year in the French system, the teachers have to go for like they call it formation, which they have to go teacher training. Teacher training. Yeah. Every no, year. I think most schools have that. Yeah. Okay, so he went for his teacher training. So they had a substitute, and it was a guy that we'd never seen before with a really thick, with a really thick accent. So I had no idea what he was saying. Anyways, I think that's when we learned cosine and sine. I might be getting it wrong, because my memory on really old memories is quite bad. And so it's not a very significant memory either. Yeah, so. it's not. It's a, well, it is a significant one because it's the only time I really got a bad grade in a math test. Oh, okay. So what what happened was we had so the main teacher came back and he was like, "Okay, you'll have a test this week about trigonometry." Like yeah yeah of course 
we'll have a test. Okay, yeah. So everyone had agreed that we're gonna have that we're going to protest the test on the day of the <laughs> test, right? And what everyone didn't tell me was everyone was actually looking at their notes to actually learn trigonometry. So everyone learned what was going on. I was just sitting there like a dumbass. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure, we'll do a test. We'll do a, <laughs> we'll do a test, of course. Yeah. And so we got to the, to the day and everyone was, I was like, are you guys ready? We're going to protest it, right? Because we usually, at the time, we could get some tests canceled like that. If no one was ready, of course, the teacher doesn't want the average of the class to be five out of 20. Because yeah. our tests were out of 20. So, yeah, okay, so that's really 25%. Yeah, yeah something like that. 50% so, so I was like so sure that the test is going to be postponed and I'll have time to revise for cosine, sine, and that stuff, right? So, yeah, okay, it's going to happen. We're walking into class. The bell rings after our break. Everyone's, yeah, Nabil, we're going <laughs> to get this test postponed. Everyone's, like, optimistic. Yeah. And so as we're walking into the classroom... We're like, sir, um, so I walk, I'm the spokesperson this time because I was the Instinctive. catalyst in, yeah. in You're the leader. wanting to protest the test, right? So I go up to, sir, can we not have the test? No one's ready. And we didn't have you teaching us this uh, topic. Yeah. So he said, no, right? He just said straight up, no, and there's nothing you can do to convince me, right? And I was still there waiting for people to back me up. Because we were all standing and I was the yeah. first person in, in, in the line to walk into the classroom. I was like, yeah, okay, so these guys are going to now start telling like, oh, I'm not ready and I'm not ready and we're going to have 18 students. Yeah. Everyone's going to be like, I'm not ready, right? They didn't do that. They just all walked in. <laughs> I was just standing there alone like, oh, okay, this is going to be good. This is not going to be good. I hadn't made a single note. I didn't even know what cosine meant. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't know what cosine meant. The first question was just finding cosine. It was like a tree. And you're standing somewhere, like across the tree. It was it was so basic. No idea. The only thing I wrote on that test sheet was my name. I didn't write. A, I didn't use a pencil. I was just sat there in the class. I was basically crying. I was like, shit. I was just like looking like, oh god, this isn't gonna be good. <laughs> this is gonna be one that's tricky to explain. Like, <laughs> then the teacher took me, like, spoke to me after class. He was like. If I'll allow you to do the test again, I'll, I'll, I'll incorporate a trigonometry part to the next test anyways, because I know you guys didn't, didn't learn it with me. So I'll incorporate a small trigonometry part in the next exam, the next test, so that you guys can redeem yourselves. They're basically telling me that I can redeem myself. I was like, okay, thank you, sir. And I left the class. So basically I got a zero, zero percent on that test. But then, I, that was the first time I actually revised for a test. I just revised for the trigonometry, because I yeah. wanted to know what trigonometry actually was. And I aced that test, and the one after oh. that, and the one after that. And I was, um, in rank, I was first in math for that term, even with a zero, which was, I was happy about that. I don't know if he counted the zero or not, but I was first in math. And from then on, it was like, okay, every once in a while, I'm going to have to do some work, you know? But then I never, like, the next year was the year of exams, and I was just playing around so much. I wasn't taking anything seriously. 
I was uh, again to some arguments with teachers just for entertainment purposes. Purposes. Yeah. I just like argue in Spanish with the Spanish teacher just to find out like how good my argumentative skills would be in Spanish, right? And that didn't help me out in the end because the year was assessed, so probably he was like, okay, ah, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, this guy. Now I can get on over it on him, like, or not. Yeah. Have like, your last say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have that last laugh now. Yeah. I can't do anything about it. Like, See, but for me, it's not the work ethic that's the issue. Because mm. I think I have good work ethic. Like, I've... I've been able to structure my life, especially like recently, around what I want to do and what's productive. So I've like structured my day in a way where I can maximize what I do. So I have a part of my day where I, when I wake up, obviously I'll get like breakfast and whatever. Mm. Then I'll just look at stock market and read up on news. Okay. Then later in the day, then I'll have like I'll have university, obviously. All right. And then after that, it would be gym. And at night, it would be me working on something for myself. So, like, my businesses and whatever. Okay. And then right before I go to sleep, that's when I would either draw... Or write poetry. Or write poetry. Or read poetry. Mm. Or read even, like, a book. It doesn't have to be, you know, something that's poetry-related. So, Mm. my problem isn't the work ethic. It's about just like sitting down studying making notes yeah I mean you know what I'm trying to say right I do yeah like just the monotonous action of going through a lecture or because to me just so dull and mind-numbing yeah I mean so basically after that year I didn't study for my exams in fact I got so I get them mixed up because I we had the same professor, the same teacher. Um, in French, you call it brevet, diplôme national du brevet, and you do that in um, year ten. So one year before you uh, the English system or uh, do international system do GCSEs or IGCSEs, right? Yeah. So that's basically our early GCSEs, and but. That's our qualification before doing the BAC, which is the IB, which is like the, the equivalent of IB or A-levels. Yeah, the French BAC, yeah. Yeah. So that year, I, I'd i stopped playing Vainglory because I was like, okay, I'm actually going to fail if I, <laughs> if I play too many video games. But I still wasn't studying hard. Like I wasn't, I didn't revise, I didn't revise for math. I didn't revise for physics. I didn't revise for any subject at all. I had still a pretty decent average first term second term I don't know what I did in second term for some reason my Spanish average was really bad it was like I don't know like 60% and first term it was 90% or 95% and second term it was like 60% in Spanish and I was like whoa what's like did I just forget how to speak the language in one term like what's going on and my average was consistently around 85 to 95% for every single term I did Spanish but then that term I don't know what happened I can't actually remember what I did if, if I was just like really bad, if maybe that was just a very, uh, a very, you know, when sometimes marking can be subjective when it comes down to like storytelling or writing an essay. Yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. You know? I know what you mean. So maybe that was an essay heavy term, for example. I don't know why I got an average of 11. 
Anyways, I still didn't study until we did our first brevet mock. So when I did our first brevet mock, I hadn't studied as well again. And I aced math and I aced physics and uh, I aced every other test. But we had history and geography and I really liked the teacher. He was my favorite teacher. He was because he was at the age where he was around like 50. His father had been in World War Two. His grandfather had been part of World War One. So he had stories. To so tell. he had actual stories from the wars, from his direct relatives. Yeah. You know, so, so it was like so entertaining. Yeah. Mm. I can imagine. So yeah. every class was like a like like a movie, like watching a movie yeah. on World War Two. So we actually didn't even like watching movies. He didn't make us watch movies because we were so entertained in his class. Yeah, by stories. And we liked, and we were good students, and we'd get good grades. Yeah. But then the exams came around, and I think. I'm. N- I have no idea whether I did well in geography or history, so if I get the story wrong, I think I got a hundred percent in one and zero percent in the other, zero percent. And I wrote answers, and I thought I was gonna get like a good grade. I got zero percent in one, a hundred percent in the other. I was like, okay. I'd say it's geography, because geography. Yeah, probably same. geography. I got zero percent. History, I got a hundred percent. Yeah. But in history, you can't generally get a hundred percent. You know. Because. You can maybe when they tell you to write about it's something. It's a bit subjective. Yeah, I know. Maybe well. they, when they tell you to write about something. So probably because history, I got zero and geography a hundred. Anyways, I was like, okay, so I need to revise for one thing. So that I was building pieces of work ethic. I was like, okay, I need to revise for history, whatever happens, or geography, right? So for my first ever real exam, I revised for history and geography. And I did all right. I got like 80-something percent in it. Obviously, I, I did better in math and physics. And it was, a, it was good. I was, I was second in my class. I was really angry that I was second in my class for the test. But first got first in Africa. So really? I can really do yeah. much about it. You mean like Irfan Tanji? She, she, was, yeah, she, was, she was doing well. She, yeah. she had a work ethic set. She had a consistent average, consistent around all subjects. Like, I was very good at some subjects, decent at others. She was, no, let's say, okay, I was excellent in some subjects, decent at others. She was very good at all subjects, every single one of them, you know? She wouldn't be first in every subject, but she'd be probably second in every single one, you know? See, but the thing is, for me, I like, like, revising maths. I don't mind revising maths. Yeah, because it's practical. You're practicing. Yeah, but revising things like history. Mm. or like English was yeah. just like difficult for me because I didn't want to do it so the reason I think I was able to pass all my exams and I still do get good grades like above 90% in university and yeah. A's and ASRs and GCSE was because I was good at consolidating information so if I would just like semi pay attention in class mm. understand what's going on I wouldn't write anything down. I would just like remember it. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. I I would I paid a lot of attention in class, which is what allowed me to be lazy yeah. at home. You know. <laughs> I almost never studied, but I was good at like writing my stuff in class, preparing for the exercises, uh, handing it in work in time, everything like that. Um, but. So I got better with time. I just started extracting pieces of what I need to work on. 
as I evolve in it, my... What were you saying? You just took it more seriously, basically. Yeah, I started taking stuff a bit more seriously. But I never took stuff seriously, I think. Um, so... Oh, you mean... Like, okay, yeah, from so the beginning. It, yeah, yeah. No, like, I liked school. No, like GCSEs. So, so GCSEs, I missed most of my exams, but the exam that I did sit, so my Spanish writing exam, I was 30 minutes late to exam. Everyone's already doing the exam because me and my friend went to go get braids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I just remember walking in and I, like, we got, like, um, we got, like, hoops and stuff and the braids and stuff. So I was, like, okay. 30 minutes late. So feeling cool everyone, and everything. Yeah, everyone's, just, like, staring at me. So I walked in late. I was, like, covered in snow. Okay. I had, like, hot chocolate in one hand, braids in my head. Yeah. And, and then, Yeah, in. I just didn't take it seriously and I... Still managed to get an A star in Spanish, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah no, no, I I took it seriously. I mean, I liked it, that's why, but I didn't like doing it outside of school. Yeah, that's all. Like, I had things I found more important, yeah, exactly. Like same, same that's, that's basically the same as me right now, mm. but but then when I went into when I came to the UK, it kind of shifted a bit because just the workload was was much more than what it was in the French system because I, I, I was just so comfortable in the French system that I didn't actually I basically had no workload but would you also say. say because your freedom was a bit restricted because yeah freedom was so, so you couldn't just go out and play football whenever you wanted to yeah we had prep sessions yeah but like you can't it's so easy to procrastinate during a prep session yeah it's so so easy you can basically do it all the time yeah and I in in second year I think some of our prep session we just like hang out and watch second year I, I um, sometimes in the second part of the second year so yeah. from December onwards I was really really like focused focused even if I had no idea what I was gonna do yeah. we had our exams coming up soon they got cancelled but I I had no idea that was going to happen and I was basically working as soon as I finished lessons till. Nine in the evening. You remember that? The time where I stopped going to the gym. Like, yeah. I just... Football days, I play football, come back, study. That was it. All the time. And I go to dinner. And that's when I really started going into high productivity mode, you know? I started... I, start, I bought a book. I started reading it. It was about how to get better and... Uh, how to get better at learning. And so it gave me techniques to improve the ways I learn which I still use now and I find them effective it's basically if you want to retain information most of the information you learn in a lesson drop by maybe 50% by the next day because if you don't consolidate yeah if you don't consolidate it and by 90% by the end of the week so basically everything you've learnt on Monday has gone on by Sunday everything maybe 10% you'll just remember the gist of it but how you can consolidate that is the same day you do something you practice that and other stuff that are relevant to that topic relating to it then the next day you do a bit of practice even if it's like 10 15 20 minutes and then after a week you do practice again and then after three months you do practice again the three months one is so that you can integrate that into your long-term memory because your working memory can hold about five important pieces of information 
your working memory, five important pieces of information at a time, right? And so if you can get some piece of information into your long-term memory, so you can recall them when you want and when you need them, it helps you out so that you can have space to think of relevant stuff and you can have some slots empty so you can bring in something to think about whilst you're in an exam rather than think about how you, like which equation you should use, why you should use it if there's some tricks to the equation. You don't think of that anymore. You think of what steps you're going to take to find the answer straight away, you know? And that really helped me out for, for our mock and it helped me out for what I do now. Like when we went into lockdown, I just started working more, even if I had nothing to work for, you know? Yeah. I could have done nothing during lockdown. Yeah, I remember, yeah. So you, you chose to work. I chose to work because... You enjoyed so it? So as soon as... Because hmm? you enjoyed it? It's not really about enjoying. It's just about doing something. So maybe... This is what I've come up with. This is what I've thought of. When I was in school, the reason I didn't work much after school was because I felt productive for enough time in a day to go back and be unproductive. You know? I felt productive enough to take a holiday and not feel bad about not doing anything. You know? So if I if I studied all year in school, I was a good student. I was uh, around some of the top in my class. I've I've done what I'm supposed to do. By the end of it, I'm like, okay, I deserve three months of holiday or two months of holiday, right? So I don't feel guilty about two months of holiday. Then I come back and I start studying again. Same routine every year. What happened was when we went to lockdown and we had no idea when we were coming out because they first said a few weeks, then it was extended, then it was up until after the summer or something. I don't know. So that was too long. I think, the, when did the first lockdown happen? March 28th or February 28th? March. March 28th? It was around March because I remember I went back to, it was a bit after my birthday, I think like a week or two after my birthday. So, yeah. I remember it's March 7th. Okay. So, yeah, after that, for the first week and a half, I was, I didn't know what to do. I was, uh, I was watching TV having some fun, going out, seeing some friends in the park. And um, it was all fun and games, Like I, but I slept late. I woke up midday or in the afternoon. Something wasn't right, you know? I was just watching series I enjoyed, but it didn't feel right. So after two weeks, I'd still been doing the occasional piece of work. So I just send my math teacher like a practice test and he'd be like, why the hell are you sending me this? Like, just be normal. <laughs> like, yeah. Why are you sending me this piece? She's like, what? So what's the point of this? And I just send him more. And he'd be like, okay, this guy's a weirdo. But So he actually, he liked it. He'd mark them and send, send them back to me. And I'd be like, okay, I'll give you one another two days and something like that. So it was okay. Um, but after that, I was like, you know what? I've missed out in IB, so I did the IB, the International Baccalaureate, and um, instead of, so I'd started off with higher level math and physics, which are really, they're, they're quite hard, they're, they're meant to be hard anyways, so 
I started off with those and after the first two weeks, first of all, I had to change the way I do math and physics from French to English. Yeah. I didn't know what the word mean meant. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because so, it was close to French, but moyenne is... Uh, so I thought it's average, right? La moyenne is an average. So mean... It is was, average. Mean was... Weird. Yeah, mean is also the yeah. average, but I, I, I didn't know But you know didn't that. know what it meant, yeah. I thought from You didn't moyenne, understand the terminology. Yeah. I didn't understand anything. I didn't know... Like, even when in, in the French system you put a comma as your decimal place separator, in the English system you put a full stop as your separator. I didn't know that either. So when I'd see commas, I thought they were full stops. When I saw full stops, I thought they were commas. Yeah. And I was just really confused as to what was happening when I was doing entrance tests to come to some high schools here, right? So I was like, what? So I don't understand anything. This isn't math. Like... It's a completely different language and everything has terminology that I don't know anything about. So I'd look at a math question, I'd see the equation, but I don't know what I meant to do with it, right? But so I had to teach myself some, I had to teach myself the terminology that I had to try and teach myself how to do the math that the English system was doing because that was also different to what the French system was doing at the time for that year. So I had to learn completely different types of mathematics. different language it's uh it's a different base french is latin different based and, and english is anglo-saxon they're different languages they're quite different and they own like if maybe if i was going from french to spanish it would be like the math would be not too uh, different not too distant from the french type of math right or the french um terminology anyways so when I did, when I swapped to the English stuff, it became, it was unusual. And I was doing higher level math at the start. Yeah. And it was really tough. And at the time I was going to do architecture in university. So what I did was I checked the requirements for architecture in university. I was like, okay, so they don't require higher level math and they don't require high level physics. I'm like, okay, that sounds reasonable. So... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tire myself and do higher level math and higher level physics if I won't need them and I can I think I can get a seven in both lower standard level math and standard level physics, which is still an okay level of math and physics, right? Yeah. Even if I did like them, I found them as a tool at the time. Just something I should do. And yeah, something that will help you in yeah, life regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I dropped higher level math first. First like three, four weeks of school. Right, I was like, okay, so the standard level math is comfortable. It's an okay level. Still have to work a bit for the terminology, and I got better at standard level math. I, I was pretty happy. It was not too hard. It wasn't hard, and it was still math I enjoyed doing in class. Right, but then I, I think I dropped physics. I found physics more interesting for some reason. I didn't even know, like, I didn't even like physics for what it was then I just found it interesting so I kept doing it till the end of the first year and then I dropped it yeah. right before the tests so I was going to drop to standard and do okay on the tests but the thing is the standard and higher level physics are the same curriculum and then physics has an extension so I basically just did standard level physics faster and then the test so everything that I didn't understand in high level physics was the exact same as the standard level physics stuff right so the tests were, weren't great. I didn't do that well. 
Okay, I got a, either a 5 or a 6, which is a A or a B in physics. Also, same thing with math. I think yeah. I got a, I think I got a A, I got an A in math, right? So I was upset with that because I was like, I like math a lot. I want to get an A star, the equivalent of an A star, which is a 7. So the next year I, I worked the highest grade possible. Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked on both of them, and in the mocks I I got the second mocks right before, like the recent mocks that we do like three months before exams or four months before exams. I got a seven in math and a borderline seven. So it's a six in physics, but it was like two marks off a seven. You know, so I was happy with that. I was okay. Um. So the swap from English to French wasn't easy to wasn't easy to make, but I had to I had to adapt and so after that I just was like yeah I'm I remember physics and math I like I like them by then I started liking them more for some reason I just started liking them more with time right like an acquired taste maybe and so I started. I picked up the HL math book. I was like, let me just go through some of the stuff we were meant to do in HL by myself. And I said, I'm going to do the same with physics because the physics HL book is the same as the SL book. Yeah. But they just have an extension portion that's like a quarter of the book long, right? So I started working on those two. I was like, okay, if I'm not going to do anything, at least I don't want to feel useless. So I was working on them. And before you know it, so first of all, I was fixing my sleep schedule. I started waking up around nine, which wasn't still wasn't good. It was better than what it was, was better before. than one p.m. Yeah, this is a two-week shift, right? So I started working around nine, and uh, I was like, I was doing five hours. So I'd split it two and a half, two and a half, the break, and then I'd go out and meet my friends in London. I'd meet George in Hyde Park, have some fun come back you know sleep that was it but with so this time, was this summer right last so 2020 so covid summer before covid summer because oh, before i left COVID i went summer. to lebanon for the summer did you i thought you were in london this summer no i was in lebanon i was in lebanon no but you were weren't you in london like i was in london for a bit of the summer i was in london yeah. maybe july and then july no june start of july probably i don't know but I was in London for a while. I was in London from March till I don't know, April, May, June. So March, April, May, June, and start of July. I was there for a while. I was there for like three to four months, right? So a lot of it was was in London. A lot of my year 2020 was in London. But after that, what I did was, so yeah, I fixed my work at my sleep schedule. Then I re- I came upon a chapter in my book, in the book that I was reading, A Mind for Numbers, it's called. And one section said, schedule. Scheduling is important. Yeah. Write a schedule for your day. Yeah. And I've kept schedules ever since, for over a year now. But what I did was, when I write a schedule, I like it to be full. So what I did was, I slept at 10, woke up at 6 every day and worked from seven and so i started trying to work from seven thirty in the morning till seven thirty in the evening straight with like maybe 
15 minute breaks that's how i started it like that was extreme like no i think i tried 11 hours a day of studying see the thing is you say it's extreme but it depends if you find what you're doing enjoyable yeah i found it interesting so if it was something like i find enjoyable like maybe something to do with private equity okay then i would happily spend 15 hours doing it which is what like i did last week i just spent like 13 hours just looking at um this private equity firm yeah so i think it just depends on like what you find interesting but i can't make myself sit down and study for more than two hours for like accounting mm. you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah no i didn't of course you have to you have to do what you find meaningful for you yeah that's what you work on for a longer time yeah like that's well, you find something that you know something they have motivation to work on basically yeah like if i couldn't have picked up my english and economics book and worked 12 hours a day yeah. i find economics interesting but i still can't work on it for more than three hours a day let's say oh yeah and yeah. Uh, we were speaking about this earlier today you don't know what private equity is no nope. you Go so on. um private equity is basically say there's a company let's call it company a and they have $200. I'm going to use like $200, obviously, not like I want to go into my millions and stuff. So say it's $200. That's how much cash they have. Okay. And you multiply that by five. And so that's $1,000. And that's how much you buy the company for. So they have $200 cash. You buy the company for 1000 1000 And because the company is worth 1000 you can borrow $800 from a bank. Okay. So you borrow $800 from a bank and you have $200 in the business. That gives you a thousand. And then you work on improving the business. So you lower costs, you increase revenue, you make it more streamlined, you make the business better. Basically. So at the end, so maybe two years later, you're left with $300. Like that's how much cash is left. Okay. And you so you've made $100 cash or? No. But that's okay. that. Then you multiply the three hundred dollars by six. So you're left with eighteen hundred. Okay. You're left with eighteen hundred dollars. You sell the business for eighteen hundred dollars. Okay. Hmm. You borrowed eight hundred dollars from the bank. You give that eight hundred dollars back, and you're left with a fat profit of a thousand dollars. So that's what private equity is basically. Private equity is. You buy a com- company that's struggling. And you help it get back on you, its feet. You borrow money. You put in your own money. You decrease its costs. Increase its revenue. Make it more streamlined. Make the business better. And then you sell it. And you move on and you repeat that again and again and again. And it's something I find really interesting. And I, yeah, it's fulfilling as well. Yeah, I was about to say, it seems like a fulfilling task because you're actually helping people as well. No, helping, it's not, uh, it's not yeah, about helping yeah. people, but it's yeah. would it be a byproduct? That it would, would be a byproduct. You... This, this is why I like it. It's like um, you would be protecting people's livelihoods yeah. at the end of the day. You're helping people get back on their feet properly Yeah. and in an effective manner. Exactly. Either that or I think hedge funds, like managing hedge funds would be very interesting as well. Or no, hedge fund and venture capitalism fund. Venture capitalism is... So venture capitalism is, um, say you're starting a company. Okay. 
a, a software company. All right. You come to me, say, I have this idea for this company. Mm-hmm. I want a hundred million dollars for your, and you get 50% of my company. So okay. I would give you that money. Yep. And you'd take 50%. I'd take 50% of the, of the, of the share. But this is where the difference starts from just like an investor. I would work with you to help you launch the company, to bring it to its full potential. Okay. From the initial stage, which is a seeding stage, to the IPO. Yep, initial stage. public offering. Yeah. Right. Which is when it's listed on the stock market. So from the first stage to the last stage, hopefully, ideally, is I would be working with you you'd have access to all my resources of the company I'd be running mm. and you'd be able to take advantage of that which is why it's another important thing you have to look at which venture capitalism fund you approach and if you and the person who runs the fund look eye to eye you have a similar ethos yep. it would help a lot comparing to someone who's not as interested in the business as you someone who doesn't have like the drive for it or the he doesn't have a passion for it the okay. same way you do that yeah. sounds that sounds like a cool idea yeah Definitely. so that's also another very fulfilling thing to see a company grow from initial to that's kind of also your company right like you you grow with it like there's yeah, an exactly. experience there that, that yeah. seems fulfilling and you're making money as well yeah which is quite a nice bonus to have yeah. <laughs> then, um, hedge funds are just about like just investing in things and yeah. a bunch of different things are these things that you'd are these things that you'd also learn in uni or this is this stuff you just oh, this is stuff you can't learn in uni so they, you have they, to they don't teach, teach yourself. you in uni. they don't teach you this stuff in uni okay so that's good yeah. I mean I find that that gives some hope that I could possibly learn some of that stuff yeah before like no you definitely can I think it's just more about like learning by yourself because no one's going to teach you these things so you have to Go out, try and look for it yourself. Yeah. I'll be trying to learn some. Yeah. Like, things I have too many interests for for the time I have. For example, if I do go into physics, ideally I'd go into something like theoretical physics and mathematics. The mathematics would be to help out with the theoretical physics, just yeah. to strengthen the foundation in math, right? Something like that would require almost all my time. Like a course like that would require at least six to seven hours a day, at least. At best, at most. But would you see an end goal for yourself if you do physics? We've, like, think, like you said, you want to become like engineer, right? Yeah, but I, I okay. don't enjoy. I don't enjoy a lot of things that so engineering see, course so yeah. have offer. An engineering course offers too many things that I find as. It's not that they're unnecessary, it's just I really, really don't enjoy them. They're dull. Yes. I'd rather teach myself those things through either experience or just me teaching myself. Yeah. Getting, buying a book and learning them by myself. Because that's also an effective way of learning. I see that's the thing about, um, I was not finance, but business itself is mostly through real world, world, real world experience. Yeah. Rather than just sitting up opening a book sitting and reading through the book yeah obviously that can help build like a good foundation yeah like it's necessary to know know like the basics before you go out but learning actual business learning how deals are done yeah is just living the real world another important aspect of that is um 
what's it called being able to communicate properly so there was like um this press conference so every year you know warren buffett yep he has um his press conference shareholders meeting okay for berkshire hathaway and this shareholder me- meeting was bill gates attended as well so they're doing an open panel where people could ask them questions okay and um this one young woman she just she just graduated from harvard university and she asked him what advice would you give a young person looking for a job right now what skill would they have and obviously you would want him to say something like oh you need to learn how to analyze a financial table or how to prepare an income statement you expect him to say that but what he said was go out and find someone finding a course to sell like learn how to sell mm. how to communicate properly and then she said why he's like that's one of the first things i did was how to communicate properly <clears throat> you can't make a deal if you can't communicate properly yeah i think learning how to communicate properly and how to approach a wider audience of people and how to make deals is very important in every aspect of life not just in finance in everything you know that was the initial appeal of language degrees the initial appeal the reason language degrees were were made in the first place the reason they were made i don't know if they're still the same now i don't think they hold same the same value, value now yeah. as they did then but if you do an un, if you do an uninterrupted uncorrupted language degree right what you take away from it is the ability to communicate the ability to use words properly and that's why if you see a lot of people a lot of people that have money send their children to do degrees that otherwise someone would look out and be like why why is why is your son doing an english degree right or something like that but the reason for that was initially so that their children would be able to communicate because they knew the value of communication in business and in selling products and selling yeah. ideas, right? Because that's we're talking about it. Elon Musk, like he's a great, he's a great thinker. He's a great engineer and physicist. Well, he, I can't call him a physicist. He has a physics degree, but he's really an engineer. Like yeah. he fixes problems and he makes products, right? He's an engineer and he's a CEO. But you were telling me this. You said his greatest asset is probably his personality. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's the reason. See, if you look at Tesla itself... That, that you was look, awesome. That, I remember when you told me this. Go on. Well, what? The Tesla, how... If you look at the company... Go on, say it, say it. If you look at a company, it's not that valuable of a company. Yeah. At all. You look at companies like Toyota. Yeah. Companies like Ford. A hundred times larger than Tesla. Yep. But because it's listed on the stock exchange, mm-hmm. its price is driven up by demand. Yep. And everyone wants a piece of Tesla. The reason they want a piece of Tesla is because of Elon Musk. There's companies like Porsche, um, Volkswagen. Everyone has electric vehicles. BMW, they all have electric vehicles. They're all developing electric vehicles. Elon Musk might not be necessarily the best. Tesla might not be the best electric vehicle. Though it's, it's cost efficient at its price point. Yep. It's affordable to the daily consumer. Volkswagen has the same thing. So does Mercedes. 
but no one buys them. The appeal is Elon. The appeal is Elon himself. Yeah. And the reason he's the richest man on earth is because of how the price of Tesla has skyrocketed because people are not investing in Tesla itself. They're investing in the future of electric cars, which they think will will be like spearheaded by Elon. Yep. Basically. Yeah, I find that really interesting. I find that because you remember the first time we spoke about this, I was like, nah, it's because he's a great engineer. It's not because you know? there's better engineers out there. There's yeah, better cause, cause, physicists out there. There's yeah. people who are more innovative. It's just because... He has a combination plus his personality. His personality is... Makes him so marketable. It makes you know, him so likable and he seems like such an approachable person at the same time. And he seems like someone you can relate to in a way. It's not It's not about relating to him. It's just... No, because no, the things he does is stuff like an everyday person would do. Like, like his, his uh, demographic, huh? Like his tweets. Yeah. Like um, his jokes on Twitter. His jokes on Twitter, just like even like smoking marijuana. When he went on Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's it's not stuff you would see Bill Gates do. Yeah. You would not see any one of the other ten top top uh, yeah. men do. Yeah. Like Bernard Arnault. Yeah. Or Warren Buffett. He just seems like when you look at him, it's like he has a sincere approach to his work. Yeah. And maybe that's the appeal with the people because he spends no money on marketing. Yeah. You know, Tesla spends zero money on marketing. Yeah, Their marketing is by word of mouth and by people just liking Elon Musk. And uh, when I thought about that, I found out you were right. I found that really interesting that personality, based on personality and likability and just who he is, he's able to make his company what it is. Like... And we talked about this. It's the same thing with. It's similar to Steve Jobs. No, not Steve. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Similar to Steve Jobs because he's a marketable. Yeah. He was. He was amazing at marketing. But he knew how to market. Elon Musk is like, it's the marketing is a byproduct of him. Yeah. You know exactly. It's 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 just it's not you're not investing, it's you're investing in Tesla, but mainly you're investing in Elon. Yeah, you're not investing in the other engineers yeah. or. See the same thing with Dogecoin. Yeah. When you buy Dogecoin. You're, you don't buy, buy Dogecoin because you think it's going to be a safe investment or it's, it yeah. will, like, you believe in Dogecoin. You buy it because of Elon. Yeah, you buy it because you believe in And it has one Elon. of the largest market caps in the cryptocurrency world. What's its market cap? I have no idea. Should I see it? Should I check it? Yeah. So is it like... I think same with, like, the Shiba Inu coin as well. Yeah, I think that's... It's just another... Isn't Shiba Inu another dog name? Yeah, Shiba Inu is a um, Japanese dog. But the thing about Shiba Inu is... Um, it's getting pumped a lot by people in Eastern Asia. So people in Taiwan, Thailand, and China. Influencers in those countries are pumping up Shiba Inu for some reason. Maybe they're and trying to make a rival of Doge, or maybe maybe they're trying to make a rival of Doge. Maybe many people say it's um, a government thing. But I don't really know that much about it because it's not something that interests me personally. Okay, it says Doge's market cap is sixty-eight point one nine seven billion dollars. Imagine seventy billion dollars. That's huge. It's massive. Mm. It's bigger than many companies listed on the stock exchange. Yeah. I think, well, I have bought some Doge as well, uh, just because of, yeah. of Elon Musk. It is just because of Elon I wouldn't look at any 
like the thing is, he just tweets about it for fun. This is his fun. Just, yeah, like, no, because I think at this point in Elon's life, whatever he does is just for fun. Like he's done he's, all the hard work. He's finished. He's done. Put in all the hard work. Yeah, working hundred hours a week. That's ridiculous. He's finished that part of his life. Yeah. Now he has, he has enough time and enough money, to have fun basically. Yeah, but the the reason he still goes to work and the reason a lot of these really rich people still go to work is because they want a meaning in their life. Because they I don't can't think just. I'll, I don't think I'll ever stop working. Yeah, same. Like yeah. I wouldn't just, I would just get to an age. Well, I don't know that, but I don't think I'd get to an age and go. I'm tired of this. I just want to have fun because what would be fun then? Yeah, right? it would have no meaning. You can, you can't have just. If you're only experiencing fun, then fun isn't fun anymore, right? Yeah. Because the feeling dissipates because everything is fun and you're always at this rate, so you forget what having fun really is, and you want to go higher and higher. And then some people like choose to. Yeah, but it's not only because of that. It's yeah. also, it's it's like um, what's it called? Maybe you'd reduce the days you work when you get older. Yeah. Reduce the hours, reduce the amount of responsibilities you take on. But for me, it would still be working to make sure the company still operates properly. Yeah. It'd be more for like building a legacy rather than just for the sake of keep having fun. The legacy. Or for the sake of having something to do. That's not why yeah. I would do it. It's not having something to do. It's ha- having something meaningful to do. Yeah. More than having something to do. Because exactly. you can always have something to do. But finding something that really is worth the time you're spending on it, that's what you should be doing as a person. Yeah. You see what's worth your time and you do it. If not, there's no point in doing it and you'll quickly find out that there isn't. And the reason... Yeah, so that's one of the reasons people just keep working for such a long time. And it's also to gain this, like from an evolutionary standpoint, no, not an evolutionary standpoint. So you know how in in religion you have the ability of immortality, right, with paradise. Yeah. You don't die when you go to paradise. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to live forever. So this is a way to find that on earth by making something so good it will live on after you die as well. Like people are going to remember Elon Musk after he dies for a long time. You know, people still remember Steve Jobs. People know like Albert Einstein from his formulae. They still live on. Einstein lives on through the physics books and through... Yeah, that's what I mean. Building a legacy, isn't it? Yes, it is building a legacy. And it's the effect of, basically, it's the inherent effect of trying to live forever yeah. that we have that allows us to do this. That No, not that allows us to do this, that makes us want to do this. No, I'd say for me it's more about like um, leaving a legacy behind for the future generation yeah. of my kids. And when, when that, how that translates to a... So it was Brett Weinstein that was talking about this. I think I spoke about this the last time. I did a podcast. It was so basically if you operate in a way that you know how in religion to access paradise you have to you have to operate in a certain way of doing good deeds, right? And if you if you operate in that way, 
as a human living now, you tend to put your children in a better position when you die, right? Because if you operate like a, just a, a deadbeat idiot, yeah. then you put your children in a horrible situation when you die. But if you act like a good person, a moral person, and even if you just act like a religious person, it helps your children out with time. See, that's the thing about religion. That we talk, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Like, um, by ourselves. Reli- you might not always believe in religion, mm-hmm. but it's a good way to know what's right and wrong. Yeah, well, it gives a lot of people a moral compass. Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's essential to... And it just builds morals, doesn't because it? Like, you, like yeah. same with, you know, like, um, it just helps you live a better life, a more meaningful life as well. Yes. And um, it gives your life some structure. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing and as well. It deters you from doing things that you would do because you you would believe that you would get punished for it. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm talking about with Brett Weinstein. He said, basically, so he's a, he's a biologist and he's not religious. He's not a religious guy. But he said, for the sake of it, even, so this is his statement. He said, religion might not be literally true. Religion might be metaphorically true, but literally false. But as long as it's metaphorically true, it's giving people a benefit. He assumes it's metaphorically true and literally false. But what he says is, if religion wasn't an idea that humanity that's beneficial to humanity, it would have gone extinct a long time ago. Yeah. It would have died out. Like, ev- like a lot of ideas have died out with time. But the fact that it's still relevant can't just be... Um, it just can't just be a coincidence. It has to be because it's helped us out more than it's um, caused negative outcomes. You know, it's positive. Its benefits outweigh its uh, shortcomings, and that's why it's still here today. And that's why we still have a load of religious people on the planet. Yeah. yeah? Um. So then he went on to explain that if you behave in a religious manner, it it could potentially set your kids. Basically, it allows your genetic pool to remain fit, in a sense, like genetic f- pool being your kids, and they can yes. continue to live a good life, and they can give a good life to their children, etc. And uh, they would raise their kids in a similar way that you sim- raised them. Yeah, because you know? they would see. That's the thing about raising kids. Yeah, either your kids will will raise their kids very similar to how you raise them or they would go the exact opposite direction completely differently yeah Yeah, depending on how you raise them because like you can look at loads of our friends as well okay like their parents took a very different approach than our parents they've got like zero restraints they can do whatever they want yeah because and you can see how that's impacted their lives yeah I mean a similar way to ours where when our parents were religious, but they weren't unfair. Yeah. Religious, but not unfair. Yeah. Religious and fair. Religious and fair. Yeah. Is, so we've been raised in a way where we have a good outlook on life. We have a moral compass. Well, at least I hope we do. Mm. And we're able to live life to a way that's not harmful to other people. Yeah. And not harmful to us either. 
in a way where it's extreme. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that the the importance of parents is really it's a significant it's a it's a very significant part in who you end up being as a person. You know, like if you have good parents, the likelihood of you being a good child increases by a lot. Because There's still a possibility of you not being a good child. Isn't it when you're a kid, up till the age of six or seven, I believe, you would mirror what your father does. You mirror what your parents do. Yeah, yes. Your father. As, if as, you have a father figure, then you would mirror what your father figure does. With your toys. Yes. Yeah, you'd like talk the way your father talks, but you'd do it with your toys. Yeah. That's what uh, children do all the time with... Uh, I can't remember where I know this information from, but children... Children do mirror what they're... Like if a, a, a child will... A boy child will mirror what his father does with him. How his father speaks to him. How his father speaks to his mother. When he's playing with toys. Do you think it's similar in the sense that... Uh, like a baby girl, for example, will baby a child. Like she'll get like a doll and, you know, like baby it. Like cook it, cook it food and stuff. Like... Um, you look at yeah, she's married like, her like my little cousin, for example. She's a girl, and she has like a fake like kitchen, like a yeah. play kitchen and dolls and stuff that mm. she raises real babies. Basically, you know what I mean, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. Like it also yes. depends on who you're around, how your environment, how and your mother acted with you as well as yeah. a as a baby girl. Your mother was doing nurturing. What, yeah, nurturing. nurturing. You're going to end up doing the same to your toys. She wasn't. You'll do the same to your toys. It's a reflection. It's almost a direct reflection of how the parents act with the children. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mirroring do to the toys. Do. Yeah, I think that's. Um, also, it's. Yeah, I, I. The emphasis on parenthood. I I think parenthood is important, extremely important in a person's life. It's important to have good parents. Yeah. It's unfortunate when you don't as well. But I'm lucky I'm I did have good parents. I do have good parents. And yeah, see. And I hope I can be a good parent when I do have children too. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I don't even think... I think my the, the way I'd raise my children would be very similar to the way my parents raised me. I think mine would be similar as well. Like... I wouldn't say identical. Yeah, not there, identical. There'd be either. a few tweaks here and there. Yeah. But the main gist of it would remain the same because I really like the way I turned out. All my siblings turned out really good as well. Yeah. You know? So I mean, you know, I'd, so I don't see any downside to it. And I I enjoyed the way I was raised. Mm. I can see now why how some of the things my parents did was beneficial to me. In the long term. Yeah. Like, forcing me to, like, play sports since I was, like, a kid. And things like that just builds character, doesn't it? It builds character and it also allows you to socialize. Like, socialize. we're a socializing species. We need to socialize and, therefore, uh, being able to do that out of classrooms is extremely important for us. Which is why the emphasis on team sports is important. Did you do much team sports or just sports in general? Uh, uh, I played polo. Is that so? Would that be? So it's a teams of four. 
Okay. But you don't... Do you communicate much with your team or is it like more of an individualistic team sport? No, you have to... Because you have to pass the ball around. Oh, okay, okay. So, so do, you, do you know how polo works? Not really. So there's uh, four chukas. It's like four quarters, basically. Okay. And um, in each quarter, you change your horse. You change okay. horses and... Your goal is you have a like a mallet, okay, which is like a long hammer basically. Yeah. And your goal is to get the ball into the other goal while you're on a horse. So it's a very long mallet. Yeah. Like to get to the floor and everything. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. Oh, and you have like teams and yeah, horses running around. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sounds fun. Yeah, and um, I remember when I went to India, I watched them play polo with elephants. Is it slower? No, it's more. It's more aggressive. They're more fast and. They're faster. Yeah, and I, I think I think it was faster. I, I was. Just, I, I was assume like it's 11. like more aggressive, but I yeah, it's, I don't it's, know. It's faster. It looks faster. Okay. I'd say. Maybe because of all the commotion. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I enjoyed the sports that I played as a child. Like, I mainly played football all my life. No, but my parents always. Wanted me to explore more things, like my mom. Would always like um, push me to into different areas where I could let my creativity flow. Like she's the reason I go into poetry. Like she's mm. the reason I start painting, drawing. She's the reason I won't go into like ice skating, skiing, polo, yeah. Yeah. whatever, uh, archery. You know, it was all her. So that's another thing I would you know, like to do. I mean, I don't know where to divide it between my mom and my dad because I, the stuff I'm interested in, I've been interested in since I was very young. Mm. Like, and the way I think and the way I act is from stuff that I can vividly remember. Like, not only remember, but I can see it being a byproduct of what, how I was raised when I was younger. Yeah. Like, I used to have tons of books about dinosaurs, just loads of them. I used to watch documentaries. So that molded the way I think in terms of I like facts and figures and I I enjoy acquiring information so to to this day I still that's still the way I like to do stuff I like to learn about things if I find something interesting I'll become obsessive about it and then I'll learn more about it I remember both my parents my dad used to get me dinosaur toys that I can like raise my mom used to also get me dinosaur toys and get me books about dinosaurs, books about animals that I used to like just read. I didn't read really much, but I just take the information, collect the information I wanted to know about and move on. And uh, and that really, that molded my personality. That was one of the molding factors in my personality, possibly. See, I don't know. That's That's different for me because... I look at my parents and they're both very different people to who I am. Okay. And I can't match my personality to any one of them. Or neither can I do to anyone in my family. My I think my personality is very was it's was unique. Like, it was unique because of different factors. Environmental factors and like how is how like factors that affected me when I was raised, like events. Mm. It transpired and whatever, and that changed who I was basically. Yeah, but it's not like unlike you. Like your personality is very similar. It's like a. It's your personality is a mixture of your mom and your dad's. It seems so. Yeah, it seems so. 
I do have some disparity. I have some differences between. You have some differences yeah. that you picked up maybe in school and from your friends. Yeah. Things like that from like reading. Yeah, I, I think the nucleus of my personality is similar to my parents' personalities. Yeah. Your foundation. Like a, like a, yeah, the, it's like a mix of their personalities. I understand what you're saying. You're saying like yours isn't really a mix, but it's a product of the childhood. It's a product of how you were raised. Yeah. But it's different from your parents, right? Yeah. I mean, the maybe. I see. I say there's like a few similarities. Like. Yeah, but you're saying it's not like foundationally similar. Yes, like yours, which is foundationally similar. Yeah, like, I'd say. <clears throat> my brother, my brother was practically raised, almost identically to me. Almost. There's no, but that's the thing about my my siblings. They're. Yeah. Personalities are They either go on my mom Or they go on my dad Or okay. they're a mixture Like my little brother His personality is Almost identical to my mom's Okay But my older brother Is Almost identical to my dad's mm. And the rest are a mixture Yeah Most of the times So yeah No it just, um, it just Do you think different. Do you think you and your siblings were all raised slightly differently, or was no, it a very similar manner? Or was it like a system that was refined with time and like? I wouldn't say refined. No, I think re- yeah, like there was like loads of disparities between how I saw myself being raised and how my siblings were raised. Okay. So when I the way I was raised, <laughs> I think my mom, my mother allowed me to let my creative side take more control rather than just making everything about work okay if that makes sense yeah so she encouraged me to always pursue things outside the class so she would make me learn how to like play the guitar yeah do you think that's adaptive to how she saw your personality as when you were young did she see you're going to be a more creative like you're going to be a creative guy like a guy that values their creativity more than maybe the, the academic side, side. Yeah. and so uh, she, as a byproduct of that she adapted the way she raised you to really strengthen your creativity yeah I, but then the thing is my father on the other side would really try to emphasize my academic side so yeah, that's he, a good balance to have yeah though. so then he would like we <coughs> had a library in our house but he built a library in my own room and whenever you would travel he'd bring a book back and I would that's when I like picked up reading. Mm. I started to love reading, yeah. and I know just like it's weird because then the way my my siblings were raised was completely different. They were just like you can do whatever you want basically. Well, I was giving more guidance and more structure. Yeah, you're giving a more structured, but I'd assume it's yeah. also structured for them. But maybe because you aren't them, it feels different. No, no, no. Because I or. can see the disparities. <coughs> I can see the similarities and what's different because okay. I, like most of it just out in the open isn't it because you're living in a house with a family you can just you know most of what's going on yeah so yeah no that's just some food for thought yeah I mean I'd say <clears throat> in my case my brother and I were raised really similarly yeah we had we have the same basic interests we both started liking football. Um, yeah, you both are very similar people, and um, even like your morals, your ethics. Yeah, morals, ethics, but we have interests. a lot of 
your personalities are our personalities are different but yeah. that's that just speaks to how complex humans are but when you say your personalities are different because not because of your parents but because of your friends um, because your life experiences are probably very similar yeah because that's another thing my life experiences was a tad bit different to my siblings yeah because when you live in Nigeria you live in a bubble you live a lot with your parents because we didn't we didn't only live with yeah I know what you're talking about like in a bubble because we didn't really live in a in an extremely lively place yeah. we didn't live in Lagos Lagos is extremely lively yeah, I know, there's I know so exactly. much traffic yeah. we lived in Abuja there are a few people it's like it's like comparing <coughs> London to Hartford yeah and Almost yeah, yeah, yeah. Not it's in terms of size, that. but in terms of how quiet and yeah. quaint it is. But Abuja is the capital of Nigeria, but really, like, it's a quiet, it's a more quiet place than Lagos, yeah. definitely. Because it doesn't have <clears throat> like the so, same lifestyle. Yeah, so your friend groups are tight, and they're not massive, and where you go, there's not much variation where you go. Yeah. So yes, our we were we had. We were sort of living in that sort of bubble you're talking about, and our personalities were molded from the same clay. But I don't know whether. See, like when he similar. when he comes to Haleybury, he'll probably have <clears throat> a very similar experience yeah. to what you had. Maybe a bit different. No, I think it'll be a bit different because uh, obviously, yeah, like our personalities are still very different, even if we raised the same. Like, there are a lot of things that he likes to do that I don't, and a lot of things I like to do that he doesn't. Not a lot, but some things, you know? Oh, um, but you have to think of it this way as well. <coughs> his personality is not only molded by his parents, it's also you as well. It's molded by me. Yeah. And I didn't have an older brother. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, you had Misho, though. Yeah, but Misho's like my best friend as a child. Yeah. Like, we, we hung out a lot together. We hung we hung out a lot together, but was he my older brother? He was just like my no, this guy that was my age mate, really. Was he he basically raised you. <laughs> <clears throat> no, no, yeah, yeah. He used to we used to play a lot together, yeah. like a, a whole lot. And then Joey was also close by. He wasn't far off. He's five months younger than me. Yeah. So he came by and Ralph, but Ralph, I didn't see Ralph much because he lived in Lebanon. I live in Nigeria but I have a really good relationship with him yeah it became better when you came to London it, it, it didn't only become, become better because it became I saw closer. him more I saw him a lot more we've always been really close yeah and I find that I'm happy that happened because you wouldn't expect it to happen from people that aren't living in the same place that don't see each other much in a year and when you're young you can't even talk to them that much yeah like, when I'm five, six to 10 I, well, how many times do I talk to him in a year call him I don't even I don't even call people much you don't even message them you don't <coughs> message them you don't like Instagram them mm. whatever Snapchat yeah. them I don't talk to people much yeah. I, I have a very well even I, now I think we didn't this summer uh, after Halebury we did not speak at all maybe like once or twice yeah but you know I learned something from you what? and I'm really happy I learned it is how to talk to people more, like through like messaging, um, and through yeah. phone, 
because before before I met you, I basically if I didn't see you around, I did not talk to you. Doesn't matter how much I liked you. I the only people I called were my parents and my brother. Misha was in school. Yeah. And I saw her off on the weekends here in in, in the Lovely. UK. Yeah. Uh, and before that, everyone I, everyone in my family was in the same place. I didn't need to call them or message them. And my friends were also in the same place. So, so, but when yeah. we left, I just I stopped messaging everyone. But then, when I saw that maintaining relationships with people you care about through your phone is extremely important as well. Because that way, that way you get to stay in touch with what they're doing. Get to see how their personality is evolving and what you can talk about when you meet them it's in also person. Also, you as maintain well. relationship with them. Like yeah. I, I only keep in contact with a handful of people, like a handful of people, because otherwise I don't see the point. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the person and how close you're with them, and if you see yourself being friends with them in the future. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah, and as many people, I just, I don't think that they would. I don't think that I would be friends with them in the future. So I just, yeah, not friends with them because their paths and lives in our life is very different. Yeah, We've but gone, yeah, what I'm talking about is also like I didn't even do it to my best friends. I didn't even text my best friends. Yeah. My, at all even like as soon after school if we meet up after school come if we don't probably that's it i won't talk on any group chat to anyone directly that was the end of it but now i i try to my very best friends i'll message them i'll try to actively talk to them yeah. even when we're not meeting in person just even call mm-hmm. call them talk to them on facetime something just to see what's up like just to keep the relationship between us um, up to date, let's say, you know? Without, like, messaging, I wouldn't have met so many people who became important in my life. Mm. Even, like, just sending a TikTok to a person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So now I... I actively try to do that what you've been doing for as long as I've known you yeah. messaging people that you find important for you yeah. and I, I think I'll try to keep that habit I'll incorporate that habit into my lifestyle as much but as then, I can but you can also look at it this way that, that habit will probably help you in later in life when you need to network with people or yeah. have a daily correspondence with people in your company yes of course uh, like I see the I see the future benefit of being able to communicate um, over communicate text, with email people. on a regular basis. Yeah. In a non-formal way. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's not in person. Yeah. Right. Because I love communicating with people in person. I in talk person a lot. is a whole different thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit weird. It's a bit. It's not. I wouldn't. It's is weird. That's it's why not natural. I prefer calls to me- text messages. Yeah. Because in a call, you can tell someone's tone. You can yeah. tell whether they're It's also easier. Like, it's easier to say what's on your mind. And yeah, because you're saying it. Because so. you're not like perfectly... You're not crafting the words you want to say because 
you when you write something down you're crafting what you would what you would think you want to sound like not what you actually sound like if that makes sense yeah yeah that does make sense um it's like like the words don't just come out of your mouth yeah because you could write something they get relayed in your brain and you rethink it and then you write it down yeah also it's like when you say something generally if i'm talking it's different to what i'll be writing also because of i can say something that wouldn't sound good if i wrote it down maybe it sound offensive to a friend i don't really care about being offensive to my friends in the first place yeah regardless of that yeah, yeah but when i say it it can be a joke and it will sound like a joke but when i write it maybe it won't sound as funny or it won't sound funny at all it'll just sound like a a statement rather exactly. than a joke you know yeah. like um remember your friend uh, candace he said that joke yeah i can't remember it but yeah i'm not falling for that again you're falling for it again no i'm not falling for that at all yeah yeah i fell for it once yeah never gonna happen again Oh, <laughs> uh, you come up with a lot of catchphrases. Catchphrases. Yep. Yeah, I don't know when. I don't know. I it's it's a thing that I've been doing since I was a kid. Like, I go through different catchphrases. Like when I was doing GCSEs, for some reason it was yeah eat. Yep. And, and then you came a bit with that. Yeah. To Haleybury. Yeah. At, at the very start. Yeah. And then I'd like transform to. Don't parlay when you're on the back foot. Yep. Yep. It's, it's just like things like that. Or... And now it's like... Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Yeah. Before that was like... Assance. Yep. Which is... Means... Means awesome, basically, in... Swahili. Yeah. From Asante. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Alright. Yeah. Should we Do you think this is how's this been? How'd you find it? Well the podcast, I I don't know. To me just been like a regular conversation with you. Yeah, I mean it took it took a bit of time to get into the regular conversation zone, if you yeah, get no, what I'm talking about. I think like I enjoyed all the conversation except like the football part. I was just like quiet the whole time. I had no idea what to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. the one talking. You know, when when we talk, I really enjoy... Well, first of all, you know a lot of stuff about economics. Because you enjoy it. Yeah, finance. Finance, finance. Uh, and business. I find it extremely interesting. Because I like just juggling. I like playing with ideas all the time. Yeah, because it gives you a different perspective and a wider perspective. Yeah. And it's also something that interests me. But then because I'm when not... I talk to you, I learn more about physics. And I don't think I... I don't talk you don't about... really talk about it, but I just learn more about physics. Like uh, It's more like... I talk about psychology a lot. Psychology, physics, know? yeah. I don't I think know. we've even spoken about anything in psychology other than psychometrics today. We like talk about... IQ. That was Brett the Weisman? Brett Weinstein. He's Brett a, Weinstein, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a biologist, yeah. but... Evolutionary biologist? No, no, the other guy is, yeah. is a guy called Gad Saad. He's like this Lebanese Jewish guy. He's Lebanese and Jewish. 
That's such a rare mix, but anyways. It's a rare mix. You don't see you don't see the outside of Syria. He's he's he lives Mainly. in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I love his work cuz he just he tries to he tries to do psychology in a scientific way, in a natural science method. Cuz you know psychology, sociology, political science considered social sciences. Yes. Um but then physics, chemistry, biology, geology sometimes, natural science, yeah. you know. And but he tries to use the scientific method derived from the natural sciences without bastardizing it and tries to map that onto the social sciences for psychology and then tries to make experiments that try as much as possible to adhere to the scientific method anyways. You know, and he has a background in mathematics. He had a bachelor's in mathematics, and then he got a master's and probably a is he a doctor. Yeah, he got his PhD in, in evolutionary psychology. And That's then, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because like, it's it's switch, almost as if he gives it gives him like a both a quantitative and a qualitative view. It does, it does. I think that's important. That's why. Well, that's why I think it's that's why I think it's an option in the first place to be able to do something like evolutionary psychology after doing a math degree because it'd be hard. You you think the transition would be harder than it was for him because he just finished a math degree with computer science or something and then just hopped into evolutionary psychology. Yeah. So right. back to what we were saying, it's yeah. like our conversations come from two different perspectives. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And they come from, though culturally our backgrounds are similar. Yeah. Morally, we have similar. We have similar, similar similarities. Similar, similar morals and ethics. Yeah. But we still have different views and yes. different ideas, and we have different interests as well. Yeah, we do. I think so that just makes it like a more titillating and interesting conversation. Yeah. yeah, it brings a lot to the table. Yeah, it does. Because we can talk about a lot of things. Yeah. And I find them interesting almost all the time. Yeah. Basically all the time. Because yeah. that's why I talk in the first place, and I listen. All right. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank for you for this conversation. Yeah. This is really nice. Yeah, you're welcome. Let <laughs> me grace you with my presence. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Thank you for watching or listening. You're welcome. All right.